<laughs> Who did that? Who's guilty? It's a kitty cat. <laughs> you know what it says, though? Whatever. <laughs> it says whatever. <laughs> That's the whatever I told you to never get caught up in, but I am today. Whatever. <laughs> How do you girls do it? Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it is cute. Do you know that I took the little door hanger? That was a door hanger of the kitty with the markers last week. And it was Miss Vicky, by the way. I wasn't judging. It was her. I heard that in my spirit. See? <laughs> she said, how did you know? I said, well, I've got the spirit of God. He squealed on it. <laughs> But my granddaughter came over that day unexpected, and I said, do you know somebody brought some kitty thing in for you? Because we always joke about me not really liking kitties, and you love kitties. She said, where is it? Where is it? She had a little sparkle in her eyes. She was so excited. When she saw it was a door hanger, she got it out right away, colored it so beautiful. She's only five and a half, but it was beautiful. She colored it, stayed in the lines, and put it right on my door. <laughs> and that's where it is. <laughs> I left it there because she put it there. <laughs> I will like kitties for her. <laughs> it's not that I don't. I just, they're not my favorite pet, but it's not that I don't like them. They're just not my favorite pet, so I tease because there's people that love them. Isn't there? Look at this. You, 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 you saw what I said. This says it says whatever. <laughs> Look at that thing. <laughs> Let's take communion. <laughs> Let's get born again this morning. <laughs> Y'all ready to get saved? <laughs> oh my goodness. Was it was it pretty windy here? I went away. I took off to Missouri. I saw the hurricane was coming, so I jumped on a plane and went to Missouri to preach the gospel. But no, my wife said it was pretty windy, but our neighbor's tree fell in the yard. Thank God it didn't go on her house. It was a big old tree, but it fell straight in front of her house. They were chopping it up this morning. Yeah, it was a big tree, but it must have been windy if that thing snapped. So she said it was pretty windy, but it was through the night, so she didn't really look outside much. She just kind of <laughs> said she curled up. Just, she heard that big boom in the yard across the street. When a big tree falls, you really must hear it. And she heard it, but everything was fine. So everybody's good. Everybody survived. It was bright and sunny in Missouri and in the low 80s, so it was pretty nice. <laughs> I flew far enough. <laughs> and preached Jesus and had a fun time. We really, really had a fun time. So the gospel's alive. It's fun. We watched some people get, like, really healed. Saw a little 14-year-old, 13-year-old girl pray for a couple people. I had her come up and pray for a couple people. And watched one lady. She's been on disability for a whole year. Disability for a whole year, 24-7 pain through her whole body. And everything left her body immediately. It was just sweet. And she just cried and cried. The next day, her grandson came over and she wrestled with him and played with him. She felt so good. She just grabbed him and they wrestled and carried on. Then she came in and shared the testimony how this is no pain. She was wrestling with her grandchild for the first time in a whole year. So I thought that's a pretty big deal. 
It's just fun, isn't that neat? It's like you get your life back when that stuff happens. And there was some other real cool things. I won't go into a lot of stuff with that. That's, that's already happened, but it's because of this right here. So don't ever lose heart and don't grow weary in well-doing. Sometimes well-doing is just believing truth, amen? Yes. If you believe truth, you'll do well. Yes. So don't grow weary. You're gonna reap, it says, if you don't lose heart. If you sow into the flesh of the flesh, you'll reap corruption. So if you just think for the flesh, how you feel, get fleshy. You'll start speaking into the flesh, thinking into the flesh, believing into the flesh. And you'll get nothing but corruption. But if you sow into the spirit, God, you love me. Never lose sight of that, guys. No matter what you're going through, you got a loved one that's just out there. Man, never lose sight. Speak life. Don't say, God, when are they going to change? Say, Father, thank you that your grace is towards them. Father, thank you that you're moving, that there's a hand of favor reaching into their life and you're turning their heart for good. God, I appreciate your love towards my loved one. Life. Amen? Might talk about that a little today. Intercession and just some different things. So, Father, we just take this right now. Can you believe we're doing this already? Oh, man. I'm feeling it. <laughs> we ought to all know how to receive communion by now, right? Yes. Amen. So just take this right now. This just represents the body of Jesus. Thank God it was given, huh? Think about it. He was beat beyond description. He lost his appearance so you could get your identity back. So you could be a son and a daughter. Son or a daughter. And we just thank you right now that you gave your body, that you didn't hold back, that you didn't love your own life like we all did, that you taught us how to lay ours down and how to walk in love. You modeled a life that we were designed for, Jesus. And we thank you that you taught us firsthand. You didn't ask us to do one thing that you haven't already modeled. There's nothing you're demanding of us that you haven't come and given first. Man, I so honor that. That's amazing. Doesn't seem like you'd have had to do that. You're almighty God. You could have just made requests and demands. Instead, you came in the likeness of man and you walked in the flesh and you modeled love. You modeled surrender. You modeled selflessness. You modeled everything we were designed for. Yeah, you came and confronted the fall of man right in the face and showed us what life really is. What a teacher. What an example. What a God. Thank you for your amazing love. Thank you. You made life possible. Thank you. You made love possible. I do not have to live for my own desire. I can surrender and live like your son. So I receive this, we receive this this morning with great gratitude. We thank you for the sacrifice of your body. We thank you that you've removed sin and the effects of sin, that you were bruised for our transgressions. Every willfulness, everything that was outside of your plan, you took it away. Thanks for righteousness this morning. Thank you we're justified because of you. We receive this with great gratitude. Words really can't express. But from the heart we say thank you. God, you're good. <laughs> I feel emotional about that this morning. You see, you can do that any morning you want to, right? 
you open your heart and you be thankful, please. Your soul gets in a rut and you start getting your eyes on things that you wish would change and things that don't seem right and fair. How about getting your eyes fixed back on truth and get humble and just keep your eyes on Him, amen? Man, what a humbling thought. We lift up this cup right now that represents your blood, the blood of a new covenant. We're in a new covenant. It's a new and living way. It's a covenant of grace and mercy. Today we woke up and your word says there's new mercy and new grace for today. Yesterday's behind us. We're not going to let today be dictated by anything yesterday. We're just going to move in the fresh momentum of your love and your grace and your purpose. And we just thank you that you're in us and you're with us and you'll never change your mind. You're for us. You gave us the power by your spirit to fulfill your will today and we're lacking no good thing. We believe in you and we thank you. We receive this blood in righteousness. We receive this drink right now (laughs) as the partaking of your blood and its accomplished work in our lives and we stand clean in your sight and we're enjoying today being your children and receiving your love. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Take your time. Take that with faith. Isn't that intimate? That feel good? Man, you can do that in your bedroom when ain't nobody watching. I get really gushy. I'm telling you, I get gushy. This morning would have been a gushy morning for me. I can tell you, I was about ready to lose it with you guys in the room. I ready to pull a curtain. Oh, God. I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I'm in big trouble. <laughs> you guys are in trouble. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You live the gospel, amen? Please don't grow weary in well-doing. Please, please, please. Please stay encouraged. I shared this a lot in the school. When you're found in discouragement, it's because you're thinking for yourself, and you're in a rut when you do that. And then you'll need somebody to measure up or pick up the slack or say the right thing to cheer you on. You can cheer yourself on. When everybody was against David and thinking to stone him, he encouraged himself in the Lord. Amen? It was a bad thing happening too right then in the natural. Everybody was captured. All the ladies were missing. The kids were missing. Only you can imagine what the mind thought was going on. You know, it's not a good thing when a Enemy village captures all the ladies and runs off with them. Wow. Encourage yourself in the Lord. Thank you, Father. Let's just do it. Let's go to, uh, let's go to Ephesians. We're going to try to cover a couple things today. We're down to the last week of school. I think, Susan, if I'm thinking right, maybe the last two days are just going to be question days. Is that right? We ought to probably have two days. We'll see how it goes. Do you guys think you have a lot of questions or not many questions? A lot. What? (laughs) (laughs) So you're going to take the school Wednesday, Thursday? (laughs) I'm going to be out of town. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) No, we'll probably take two days just to see because it's it's not like we need to fill fill time. There's plenty of time. There's, There's plenty of things we can minister and share. You know, we didn't want to make this school really a topical school. We wanted it to be a school of the heart where we're catching the heart of God and moving in relation. Like that communion we just received. Who heard the intimacy in that? And, and who learns from that stuff? 
It's not traditional. Could you tell that that wasn't traditional at all? You want to learn to live from the heart. You want relation. Hi. <laughs> you just said that. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> you look so sweet. I look at you. <laughs> you want to do everything from the heart. Man, the worst thing you can do is teach yourself religion. Shake your heart and get in fellowship with God. Amen? And that's your place. That's your privilege to do that. The church I was at this weekend, I talked to him. I said, listen, you just got to gotta shake yourself even sometimes just coming to church and say, why am I going today? Sometimes we go for weeks just because it's Sunday. And we just show up. Instead of waking up and understanding our place in life and in the body and the excitement of gathering and purposing to love and corporately worship him and honor him and get sharp and, and, and look more like him when we leave. And there's just a lot of reasons you do what you do and you got to shake your heart sometimes so you don't just go through the motions and just show up because you're a Christian and it's Sunday. But you want to live from your heart. And a lot of people say to me about the passion they see in me a lot and the excitement and I'm always in a certain place. Well, I, I believe I've been a half decent steward of my heart. You see what I mean? And I do things with the good why behind my heart. Because you can't rise above your motive if you just do things because then there's really no faith and no motive. You're just showing up and God can still show up and do cool things but you'll tend then to be encouraged from experience to experience. And you're looking for moment to moment and touch to touch. Instead of living in the joy of the Lord, living in the intimacy of God. I found a lot of Christians living from touch to touch. You know, for the next time God touches them or they have a revelation. <laughs> you can have a revelation every day. <laughs> that he loves you. <laughs> I've, I've just learned, I, I do, when I talk to people, I ask them how they pray. I really do, behind the scenes. I say, listen, do you, are you thinking this way? Are you praying this way? And a lot of people kind of look at you, cock, and they're like, no, I don't really think that way, let alone pray that way. You know what I mean? Sometimes we're just caught up trying to do the right thing instead of knowing him. And that's what this whole school's been about. So we really didn't purpose to make it a topical school to cover a lot of topics. I know a lot of questions that have come in over the email. Actually, you haven't been giving me a lot of questions because I think a lot of them are more theological and topical and you guys are trying to handle them. So I really, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I've really passed a lot of them questions to me. But uh, there is a couple things we can touch this week. Uh, did I say Ephesians 6? Yes. Okay, because I'm not there. Or did I just say Ephesians? Okay. Well, let's go to six. I was waiting to see who was prophetic this morning and tell me where we were going, but since nobody offered. <laughs> Patty! <laughs> the online students didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> she said, whatever. <laughs> we're going to recover. We're going to do okay today. We are. It's, it's good we're here. Okay. You know, the Bible talks here about the weapons of your warfare. It talks about your armor. I want you to know your armor is the finished work of Christ. That's what the armor is. The armor is what Christ accomplished. Because he died and rose again, you can live 
the way the armor reveals. Okay? You, you, it's, 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 I want you to be, be simplistic with it, and you can still break it down. Children's church has a blast with the armor of God, and adults can too, but I don't want you to complicate it. Everything having to do with the armor is the finished work of Christ. It's who you are because of Him. It's real simple. Keep it real simple. I've learned that if we don't keep it real simple, we actually don't get the effect of it and the power of it. We overcomplicate it and feel like we're missing something or something. It's just real simple. Thank you, God. Let's just look finally, brethren. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord. I hesitated because I was tempted to back up. He says, finally, brethren, I'm thinking, man, what did he start off with, huh? <laughs> be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So he's for you. He's in you. It's his grace that lives in you. It's his grace that empowers you, that molds you, that changes your heart. You can't just walk in love without him. You have to yield to him. That's why we want to be in fellowship with him, guys. That's why we want to talk to him and commune with him. When we receive communion, that's why we want to be personal and intimate so there's faith constantly going this way and grace is coming into our life. You follow? It's just very important. How do you be strong in the power of his might? How are you strong in the Lord and the power of his might? By understanding who you are in him, your place in the family, that he's with you, that he's for you, that he's empowering you, that grace is able to make you everything he's created you to be. And you're in fellowship with him in those terms. You understand that. Yes, I can love like you, Lord. You're in your bedroom. Yes, I can love like you. You put your heart in me when you put your spirit in me. You gave me a brand new heart. You said you've written your laws inside of my heart. I just know by sheer instinct now, because I'm your son, what right and wrong is. I just know to do right. And by your grace, I'm going to live this day and manifest your love. Thank you, Father, you're in me. Thank you that you're for me. When I see, I look through your eyes. Lord because I am now your child you, you see how you can pray that's how grace flows that's where fears dissipate and worries and anxieties because we're not looking through the flesh anymore because in your own strength you can't change things that's why we're so afraid come on we're so afraid because we're faced with things that we have no power over, so we're intimidated and threatened by that and feel vulnerable to that. But if you stand in a place where you see who God is in you and you begin to release your faith and thank God that He's greater than these things, and you can even list them if you want to, but I'd be careful after listing them once or twice in prayer to just keep doing it because it, 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 gets, it can get weird. You start focusing on that and you're still motivated by what's wrong. There's a place to keep declaring the answer and keep declaring the promise. There's a place to, to speak the truth without constantly upholding the lie. But there's a place for you to acknowledge and distinguish. And I'm, I'm good with that. I'll do that sometimes in the beginning of prayer. If I see something's getting my attention and I don't see how it's going to work out, you know what I'm saying? And there's nothing wrong with going in your bedroom and saying, Lord, right now I see this and I see it could go this way. And this, but I thank you that you, and you begin to declare the answer and the promise and you proclaim the victory and you always end on a real high note. It's not just emotional. It has to be based on truth. That's why we need to know the nature of God, the will of God, understand the heart of God towards people because then you're empowered actually to release that faith. 
See, if we don't fill our heart with the word, and we've said this before, you could come to a school like this and, and just sit and listen and get knowledge and, and take a lot of notes and listen to the sessions. But until you get alone with God and let this become your personal reality by pursuing him by faith and letting him reveal himself to you through these truths, then, then it'll never be yours. It'll just be yours right here. You see what I mean? And in time, this will be like, man, you know, I know all this, but it's still, man, this ain't never going to work for me. That's what people think then. It's not a method. It's not a never work for me thing. <laughs> it's a receive God's love and let him love you thing. <laughs> Do you know what, you see what I mean? It, it, it's not that it, can, it, it, it has to be right. Jesus loves you. It's not a this will never work for me. <laughs> see, I don't even like that term. Because that's a, that's a methodology. That's, that's a work thing. You see what I mean? You're like looking for the right connection. The connection is, thank you, Father, you've done this thing. You really came, Jesus. That means you have great value towards my life. And you love me in an amazing way. Thank you for starting me right here. This feels good. I have more than hope today because Christ came and died for me. You can start that simple. See what I mean? It has nothing to do with your performance. It has to do with him already coming. That's what starts to change your performance. I feel like I'm back at the first day of school for some reason. Does it, is it all right that I'm rehashing this stuff? Okay. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor. It's, it's, it's the whole armor. You want to cover the whole man. The, he covered everything, the whole armor. There's a whole armor. I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing that on purpose because he does. So he doesn't want you to miss and let something out. Right? He doesn't want you like, like, like your feet shod. The preparation of peace. He wants you to be a peacemaker. He wants you to see that God's made peace. He doesn't want you to boast in righteousness and eternal life and then have a hard heart and a hard edge to you and be legalistic and judgmental. That happens to a lot of people. He wants you to be a peacemaker. He wants you to wear the whole armor. He doesn't want you to exalt one or two pieces and then miss putting on the rest. You following? Put on the whole armor of God that you'll be able to what? Stand against the wiles of the devil. So he's letting you know that there's schemes set against our lives to stop the kingdom and stop the gospel. It's not just to destroy you. It's to stop the kingdom and stop the gospel. Don't ever forget that. It's not personal. It feels personal because it's to you. <laughs> But if it can get inside your head, it can slowly get into your heart. If it gets into your heart, it's into your mouth. And now there's a perversion of authority and the power of life and death. It's twist. That's where he'd love to end up. Satan would love to end up right here. So that you eat the fruit of your lips, so that your stomach's filled with the fruit of your lips. So it's just, oh. He'd like to start here. That's what he does. He starts here, gets you and next thing you know, it becomes your belief system. And if it becomes your belief system out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth's going to start yap, 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 and it's not life. And a lot of it's that yell button. It's a frustration. Yeah, but it's a shh, shh already. You guys all right? 
I'm not correcting you. I'm protecting. I'm, I'm, I'm saying, man, let's be careful with that wrong believing. It's wrong thinking that bursts wrong believing. You start believing some wrong thoughts and they keep working on you. You don't address them. You don't find truth here. You just accept them. And next thing you know, you're believing on a slant. And now you're speaking in a twist. Father, needs to be life. And if you've got the right to speak life, speak life to the things that are called to life. Speak, you know, I, I, the life and death thing, I see it more as speaking wrong. I don't, I, don't, I don't even encourage people. I know there's a warfare side of prayer that people attack and go after devils and stuff. I don't teach that and I don't encourage you. Don't, you just speak life. Light is greater than darkness. Yes. Satan loves when you focus on him. A lot of prayer and intercession has taken a twist and it's a big focus on the devil. And I would, I, would, I would tell you as a teacher of this school, take responsibility for this comment. If you focus on Jesus and you proclaim truth, you'll see a whole lot more victory in your life. You walk a whole lot more free and you'll just be in a good place. It's not good to be devil conscious. He's a cut off withering branch coming to nothing. How about proclaiming? He loves when you pay him attention because he's lost and a loser. And when you look at him, he feeds off of that. He'd like to even go boo in your life to just get you to go, oh, and then it, yeah. <laughs> He loves to whisper fears into people. And then they start talking about their fears. Instead of, Father, I thank you that you love me. I thank you, Father, that my life is in your hand and no one can snatch me from it. And I love not my own life unto death. There's a way bigger picture than today and even how I feel. And there's no reason for me to ever be afraid because you have come. <laughs> you feel that when I pray that stuff. I'm not just giving you examples. That's how I believe and live. Like I don't give nothing has a chance like that to even get near me. It's like, it's like a Holy Ghost force field. I'm telling you, I don't live that you. You've never seen me any other way than you see me. And there's a reason. <laughs> I'm a lot more militant than you probably realize. <laughs> Well, I feel that. That's good. <laughs> soldier. I feel like a soldier right now. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because I'm going to stand. I'm not going to topple. I'm not going to waver. And I'm not going to sit. I'm going to stand. Therefore. That means plant your feet and don't you budge. You're not picking a fight. But you're not afraid of one. And you know the schemes are coming. But you're standing. And you're not going to move. Why? Because he is Lord. Not because you're a great Christian. Because he is Lord. Got it? Because he's my father. And I'm his boy. <laughs> and we're going to win. <laughs> one day we'll all realize we won. <laughs> You ought to enjoy the victory now. <laughs> Instead of sweating your way there. <laughs> probably ought to rejoice a little now. <laughs> Get a little head start. <laughs> Don't just wait for the trumpet to blow. <laughs> Let it sound in your heart now. <laughs> I think we won already. I think sin's been destroyed. I think we're joined back to God. I think His Spirit lives inside of us. I think we're sons and daughters. I think we won already. We've got to live from that victory, from that identity, and face every challenge because he's telling you there's wiles 
from the devil, to distract you, to get you to pick your life back up, to, to prove if you really love God or not, or if you just love yourself, and you're in this for yourself, and what God can do for you. He's there to try to find all that and, and, and find a vulnerability to destroy the potential of destiny, legacy, and the kingdom of God on the earth. You can't take it personal. We had a whole session on that. We spent a couple days on that. So we're going to stand against the wiles of the devil. That literally means the schemes of the devil. So there's a scheming going on. You want to make him think real hard and have to get real creative. I, I, I don't think he has to think too hard a lot of times. In some people, he just says, you're not worthy. And they go, oh my God. I'm just telling you, I'm not being rude. I've learned this. Some people will just say, well, God can't love you. Remember what you did? Oh my God. Yeah, how could he love me? And here's the cross saying, I love you, I love you, I love you! <laughs> and Satan will go, well, you can't, you can't be loved. <sighs> and God's, I love you! Right. He's shouting through the cross. It's a loud cry. The cross is a, it's not a whisper small voice. The cross is a loud cry from heaven. <laughs> and then one little whisper in the soul. Well, your Christian life's not meaning too much. I mean, how long have you been saved? What have you really accomplished? And he's trying to get you to strive and drive into works and judge yourself and get bummed and start believing you're useless. And now you have no incentive and no hope and no vision. Come on. With a lot of us, that's just the basic stuff that he sees work a lot and he's not real creative. He just camps there because he gets a lot of success there. You want to make him so creative that he has no idea what to do next because every time he touches you, he manifests God and gets you closer to God and God's bigger than before. And, ah, ah, ah. and he's like, oh, I got to touch him. It's my nature, but I'm so... You want that process happening. I'm serious. I know it sounds funny, but I'm acting it out because you want that. You want to where he knows when he touches you, he sees you respond in truth and, and he has to almost get creative because the ways that work don't work. Follow me? Yes. Come on, if they're schemes, these are intentional. If it's the wiles of the devil, these are intentional plans against your life. Who's ever started to rise up and have a special hunger in your heart that you hadn't had for a while and then all of a sudden, yep. come on, it's not an accident. But then what we go is, well, I'm stepping out in God, and then the devil's really trying to crush me. And then we get devil conscious and crushed conscious and circumstance conscious. No, we ought to rejoice. It means we're taking some real good vital steps, and we've drawn some attention here. We actually are in the realm of usefulness and legacy and purpose, and it's got somebody's attention. If you're just living lethargic, you're, pro you're probably in the safest place, but in a sense, you're not because you're missing life. But as far as that stuff, he's already got you. Why would he scheme against compromise? He's already got you. We're not selling cheap like that. We're not saying, well, I'm going to back off witnessing because then there's not as much pressure. Seems like every time I reach out and witness, boom. So I'm just not going to. I've heard people say, every time I take a strong stand in the Lord and everything, why doesn't God protect me? And I've just backed off because every time, boom. And 
He's already protected you. He's put word in your mouth. He's put sword. He's put shield. He decked you out. <laughs> Serious. But fight. <laughs> you, guys are t- you guys are too excited. You're going to make me. <laughs> you, you're not helping me. Just, I'm used to you doing this. Especially on Monday morning. <laughs> and here you guys are like, Woo! Yeah! Jesus! You're going to make me think I'm preaching good or something. I don't know. <laughs> See, I feel like I didn't say that much, and you guys are fired up. <laughs> it's because I, it's because I love the cat, isn't it? Look at that, Vicky. Look at that. I'm so free. <laughs> it's because it ain't real. <laughs> okay, look. I could kiss a cat. I could kiss a cat. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this. <laughs> that you may be. <laughs> that you could stand against the wild so listen there's actually schemes he's actually scheming and I don't want to make too much attention on this in the sense that whoa the devil's scheming but the Bible tells us that he doesn't want you unaware that the spiritual realm is real It's not an accident that you get excited and you start moving forward in God and then you're faced with trials you didn't have before. But see, that that you endure like a soldier, Timothy says, the book of Timothy, you endure hardship like a good soldier. Why? Because it proves your motive. You're not doing it for any other reason than your love for God. You're going after him, come hell or high water. Doesn't matter how hard the wind blows, you're not stopping me now because truth is inside of me. There's a bigger picture than how I feel in life circumstances. I'm living for the long run. I'm going to stand before him one day. Every step you take and every breath you take is taking you closer to that day. You get that in you. You look and you understand you're heading to that day. And what a gift that you qualify. What a gift that you can make a statement. What a gift that you can humble yourself and give your life for His glory and His name. That's what makes you a hero. (laughs) Because you gave it all and followed the King. (gasps) He gave it all and said, this is the way. Follow me. Oh, man, do you feel that? That's like in me. (laughs) It's like a a gusto inside. I don't know if you hear me. I don't even live by feelings, but I'll tell you what, they feel good. (laughs) But I believe what I'm telling you. And then there's this mm behind it. It's like, whoa. Look, because we're not wrestling against people. We can never let people be our battle. We're so distracted sometimes by people and what they say and don't say and how they're acting and not acting. Come on, we subtly put our expectations on people and we get in relationships, inspect the world of people and then it doesn't pan out to what you dreamed and now you're disheartened and sometimes just subtly discouraged but it leads to stuff. It makes the water muddy. People are not we're, it's, not, it's not what we're fighting. Nope. Ever. No. 
You okay? You all good? It's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers, against rulers, rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, God's not boasting in the devil here. He's just making sure you're not unaware of what's going on. Right? And the good news is, in the rest of this chapter, he's telling you you're well-equipped, well-prepared, and destined to win. Do you get it? So fear can't ever be the will of God. Drawing back can never be the will of God. He's letting you know what's going on, but he's given us provision. He's conquered. He, he's amazing. And he wants us to see who we've become now in him. That is not a presumptuous, boastful comment. That's the will of God. We're the children of God. He calls us the embodiment of Christ. We didn't come up with that term. God says you're his embodiment. You're the one that embodies him. He said, let us make man in our image in the beginning. Now in Christ, he put Christ back on the inside of us. Now we're in Christ. Christ is revealed. He's king of kings, Lord of lords, name above every name, all authority in heaven and earth, and he's inside of us. Come on, that's God's doing. Let's not be falsely humble about that and demean our value now that he's shown us what we're worth. Let's not be afraid to talk about that and think that's heresy or blasphemy. Because it's what he says. If he didn't want you walking in victory, why is he decking you for battle? Why is he giving you every provision to win? If he doesn't want you to stand up and fight and proclaim, why is he put life in your mouth? If he doesn't want you to speak on his behalf, why did he put any authority on your tongue? Do you see how one we are with him? Why would he want you to lay your hand on somebody when he could just go Because he wants you to see the intimacy of his heart towards us and the connectivity of the creation of man and the value of our lives. And if it wasn't that powerful, he'd have never sent his son to get us born again. He just said, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> never lost sight of us, guys. Let's not lose sight of us in the midst of life, in the midst of people doing and saying things they probably ought to not. Let's not lose sight. He never did. It must be possible to follow him if he said to. It must be possible to see you through his eyes. I don't know about you, but I want that. You have to decide if you want that. So you can get distracted, pulled away, live in the shadows. That's up to you. That's your privilege. And I wouldn't condemn you for it, but I'd sure try to cheer you out of there because you ain't doing good there. You know you're not doing good there. <laughs> the worst place, then you hang out there and you start resenting people that are doing good because you ain't doing good. And you're back to that old... Blah. <laughs> I've seen unhappy people mad at people that are happy. I, I've seen people that feel like nothing ever goes right for me, and when stuff goes right for somebody, they almost wish they'd run into calamity. And when they have a car wreck or something, they almost feel glad. I, I've had people at work that used to say, man, they'd never have nothing. Man, finally, they finally have a challenge in life. I'm, 
people get that way. Bible talks about that rejoicing in another man's calamity. It's only because your heart's so miserable. Man, I'm not putting that on you. I'm just making it. So what I'm saying is, man, what do you see where you can drift? Where you're called to love and you can finally get so far going that you rejoice in another man's trouble because, <laughs> well, now how does it feel for you? Because that's how my life always is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't ever go there, church. Therefore, therefore, since we're not fighting flesh and blood, then we need to fight in the spirit, not the flesh. We're not going to punch people in the mouth. We're going to make peace and love people, right? Right? He told us, <laughs> not out of you. You're like, you're like in the running for the student of the month. You can't say that stuff. <laughs> You're like, she's little Miss Student right here in the front every, she even looks nice every day. She like looks like she's learning. She just looks like she's learning. (laughs) You're real red again. (laughs) But she's like in the running for student. She's got her little book. She's got her, (sighs) she even looks, she she received communion. I said, we're not punching people in the mouth. She said, say that one again. Just talk about it. That's what she said. I was like, I couldn't picture her walking down the street. (laughs) Not you. (laughs) Okay, we'll say that one again. Look, it's not about getting mad at people and setting things straight with your flesh. Because our war is not flesh and blood. So if our war is spiritual, then he's given us spiritual weapons. Like the Bible says, the weapons of your warfare are not carnal. 2 Corinthians 10, it's not carnal but mighty in the pulling down of strongholds. Strongholds try to get in your mind and ingrain belief systems. The only thing that pulls them down, it's not prayer and oil. It's truth. It's truth. That's what the Bible says. You want to look there? Second Corinthians 10. Let's just look there because, I mean, I know you guys have been taught this stuff, but it just feels like it's anointed to share. I mean, it just feels in my heart right. Watch this, verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, that doesn't mean we're living by the dictates of the flesh. It means we have a body. It means we have a heart, lungs, liver, elbows, wrists, hands. <laughs> it means we have a body doesn't mean we're living by the flesh. We're walking in, by the flesh, in the flesh, meaning we have a body. We're not warring according to the flesh. That means we're not punching people in the mouth, Jennifer. Okay? okay? <laughs> not hitting them over the head with a pocketbook with a brick inside. <laughs> if you have a brick in that pocketbook... <laughs> I hope that's not a word of knowledge. <laughs> I don't even want to know. Just, if it, just keep it to you and God. I don't even want to know. <laughs> I'm just going to purpose to believe you didn't have a brick. <laughs> For though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. 
You know how in your life it's a form of pride when you have to tell somebody off because what you're doing is you're valuing your opinion higher than them. You're degrading them and elevating you. So when you fight with somebody, scold somebody, demean somebody, get cynical with somebody, it's a self-righteous expression and you've just risen above them. And we were taught that that was normal our whole life. In fact, we were purposing to be in that position our whole lives. Come on. It's an elevating of man and self. Though we're walking in the flesh, we're not warring that way. The weapons of our warfare. So I took you here because it's the same language we're going to find back in Ephesians. Right? So we are in a war, aren't we? So we are in a war. But we win the war by living in truth. We win the war by proclaiming truth. We win the war by walking in the light as he's in the light. We win the war not by confronting the problem, but embracing the answer. That's how fun Christianity is. So in the midst of feeling unloved, you get the, the joy of never living by your feelings again and rising up in faith and just looking at the gospel and saying, are you kidding? I have to be loved. You died and rose again. And God will begin, because of that faith, work a revelation in you where it becomes so real that you don't even have to pray that. You just know that. You follow me? Come on. So good. There's a lot of things I used to pray a lot. I don't even pray anymore. There's mine. I mean, I might reiterate them and shout them out and rejoice and laugh and I'm driving. I did it on the way down the East Berlin Road this morning. I was just got a look. I was near your house too. It must have been your fault. I got around that zone of Linda's house. Your little hope sign still out in the front yard prophesying hope for the city. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) But I was getting near your curve there coming up the little hill and I was shouting to Jesus, thanking him. I was yelling out things like Consume my heart. You're amazing. I want to be filled with you. I want more of you. I was crying stuff out like that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Amen. Watch this. We're going to, the weapons of our warfare, they're not what? They're not carnal. They're not fleshy. They're not flesh empowered. They're not flesh driven. The weapons of warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Now you can tell the strongholds are beliefs and, and, and thoughts and mindsets. Well, they're thoughts that become mindsets. Thoughts aren't strongholds. They become beliefs. They become mindsets. You start believing them and living by them and even speaking them. They come out in people's language. When you minister a lot and counsel a lot, you learn to listen. I have a lot to say all the time, it feels, when I'm preaching and stuff, but I'm a pretty good listener. I try to be a good listener because you can hear what people believe when they speak. It comes out of their mouth. Because out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. speaks. (laughs) And then you preach like that and then you talk to people and then they're careful what they're saying and they're trying to walk in eggshells when they talk to you and then you can tell that they're not free. (laughs) Because they're trying not to say the wrong thing. I'm like, what's there wrong to say? Just talk, be you. (laughs) It's just funny. (laughs) So they're mighty for the pulling down. So the weapons God gives 
are they strong enough to pull down? Yes. So they are, they're, they're enough, right? Yes. Settle in your heart that what God gives is enough. It's not a matter of this isn't working. It's enough. God's way is enough. He's far above every power and principality. So watch this. They're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down. This is the weapons God's given you. It's, it's called truth. It's the ability to speak truth, to proclaim life. It's all connected to the realm of prayer. That's why we're talking. I want to talk about prayer and intercession a little in the second half. We'll, I'm, I'm not going to cover intercession. Intercession is a huge topic. You could take days on it, but I want to share some vitals, okay? So we're casting down arguments. Arguments, talking about what's going on in the mind. Arguments. And every, watch what he calls them, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What a haughty thing to rise against the knowledge of God. What a puffed up thing. <laughs> it's, it's a high thing. Yeah. Right? You need to bring it down. It's because you're rising, it's, it's the thoughts, it's the devil, he's, it's things in your mind. It's, sometimes it's just the way that seems right to a man so ingrained and it tries to keep coming back and yell button you and yell button and the word of God is speaking and yell but, yell but and usually it attaches to little insecurities, things that aren't formed in your life yet, things you haven't released or forgiven or seen yourself apart from yet and then he looks for that in your life, he listens. I, I'm telling you that if there's strategies set against against us he looks for that stuff and he just that's where he camps he hears a Christian say you say well, well it's familiar spirits don't get wigged out it's just familiar spirits they've been they've been assigned they've been around you since you were born or things that little whoever had the dark images in your bedroom all the time and they'd stand in the corner and look at you it happened to me all the time growing up all the time it had me aware of weird things and freaked out and afraid and there was just stuff going on and, and voices all the time. I, I, for years, I never even talk about this, but, but for years, it even happened to me after I was born again. People say, well, you need a deliverance, brother. You should have went through something. You know, I would have this thing. Every time I'd get on something high, this big high bridge and look off sightsee or a high building, this thing would come with compulsion and say, jump, just jump, just jump. And I would picture myself falling to the ground from little as long as I can remember. After I got saved, it, it, it happened to me every time I was on a high place. It still comes to mind every once in a while, but now it has no compulsion to it. It's so funny. He still says it, and there's no compulsion there. It's like, jump, are you kidding? I have in the river of God. You know what I mean? So I didn't need prayer in ministry. a lying spirit it's a it's a compulsive thing it's, 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 it's like a suicidal spirit and now here we are I bind you you suicidal spirit no just teach the value of somebody's life and suicide loses its voice we're not fighting a suicide spirit we're fighting identity crisis That's right. jump are you kidding me I'm writing my destiny legacy I mean I'm writing I'm fulfilling the will of God jump are you kidding <laughs> you see but isn't it amazing I've still heard that impression in the last two years 
been saved for, well that's a stronghold brother, that's something deeply rooted in you. Are you kidding me? That's a lying devil that's lost his voice. Just because you hear it, why do we give him so much honor? Just because you hear it, big deal, he's lost his power. There's no compulsion, there's no, the last thing I'm going to do is jump off a high thing. Brother, I've been getting suicidal tendencies. I felt like jumping off the bridge. I heard to jump. Why would I hear to jump? Because it's a lying devil. And, and if anything, if best, he just wants you to get your eyes on him and start instead of, I worship you, Jesus. I love you. He wants you shadow boxing. I'm <laughs> sorry, Rachel. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to make you hysterical. <laughs> you can tell I never took any karate classes, but <laughs> but he does want you to do that. He wants you distracted. Who's ever heard like the weirdest, wackiest stuff in your life, in your soul? Off the wall, banana stuff. Like what in the world? Like, that's when it hits me. If it ever comes anymore, it's like, what? I can't even say to him, get a life. It's impossible. Like, get a life. That doesn't even work because he can't. <laughs> so you just go, oh, brother. Wow, thank you, God, for truth. Yes. You see? Thank you, God, for truth. What are we doing? We're pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. You know what that voice was doing as little up, as little as I can remember to jump? My whole life was trying to eat up my identity. I used to hear it all the time. You ain't all together. You ain't right. People don't think you're right. You got issues. You're, you're half crazy. I used to hear that my whole life growing up. Growing up my whole life. You don't fit in. People don't really like you. I hear that my whole life. And then I get out on a high bridge and I look and go, whoa, look at that. Jump. It's crazy. Trying to attach that to my identity and desire and get me forlorn, backed into a corner where all of a sudden life isn't worth living and I'm a loser. So why not? <sighs> See, you whisper, jump. I could hear it. Jump, jump, jump all day now. It's, that's like a joke to me. Because of this, what I'm reading to you. Not because somebody rubbed oil on me and prayed. Because if you don't replace the lie with truth, you'll always need oil and prayer. And you'll think you're waiting for the, and then here's what else happens. Then you, after a while, you'll wonder why God hasn't delivered and you'll lose your hope in God and wonder if you're not loved or wonder if he doesn't care. Who's ever had that happen because you went through the cycle of ministry for so long you started questioning God. We don't understand what we're doing to people when we're just so ministry conscious instead of truth conscious. There's a place for ministry. I saw God do some real cool things coupled with prophecy and word and knowledge this weekend. It was really fun took a little more liberty than I usually take and it was it's fun to do that and there's power there but it's always coupled with truth strong truth I mean it's possible for somebody to have a sorry heart and not want to 
be addicted anymore and you bless them and pray the power of God over them and come against that addiction and, and proclaim freedom over them and they go <gasps> and be free. But then you want to build their identity and teach them who they are because if they get deceived and start feeling well, their identity slipping, then they have no value. So hey, now they're back, whatever. And sometimes we say, well, it's that addicting spirit. Well, it's a loss of identity. Sometimes it's not even, an ad- he doesn't even have to work hard because you don't see who you are. So that's all the value you possess. So hey, whatever. Well, I'll never get it right anyway. What's the use, man? That's what happens. You follow me? It's all initiated by a lie. It's all initiated by suggestion. But once you receive it, once you grab it and say yes to the lie, he doesn't have to work very hard. That, that thing needs pulled down. I mean, it, it, I believe spiritually, I can't prove this, but I believe a spirit could come to Jennifer in her life, work on her, develop a stronghold, and then just slide over and start working on Kathy. Because he's got her locked into a belief. And he's not just following her around, hanging out. He's just sowing seed like the sower sows the word. You see the perversion? You got gospel on the earth and anti-gospel. You got truth and lies. And he's out there like a farmer <laughs> trying to get something to grow on his behalf. And they give him no place. Don't be unaware of his devices, the Bible says. That's why you don't want to compromise your soul and your conscience and stuff. And if you do, you need to quickly, when you go <gasps> and realize it, jump right back into the righteous river of God and just be cleansed. Because he loves when you're in that place. So we're going to cast down, boom, arguments and every high thing. That's not by yelling at the lie. (laughs) Devil, leave me alone. I rebuke you. I forbid you to speak to me. And he'll go, oh, okay, loser. (laughs) And then you're in this cycle, walking the floor. I've got the mind of Christ. I got the mind of Christ. I got the mind of Christ. That is not what this means. That's how the church has taught it. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. The blood is powerful. God knows I honor the blood. But he is not teaching us to walk the floor and plead the blood. He's teaching us to lift our hands and proclaim truth. You can plead the blood all day long and not replace a lie with truth. And the same lie has a voice in your life. It can speak if it's not cast down with truth. I'm going to prove it here in the scripture, see. This is a very important thing for the church to grab. We've got to understand this one. I've learned we don't understand this one that well. It's probably why there's so much emphasis at the end of school on this because this is one of the major devices of the devil is to get inside the heads of people and then we get into what we call spiritual warfare. I bind you, devil. I break your power. I come against every principality. You have no right to my life. I shield my house with the glory of God and I pray the bubble of protection over my head. That's what people do. But they don't fill their heart with truth. And as soon as they're done their whole spiritual thing, the devil goes, loser. I plead devil, I break your back. And all of a sudden he has your attention all day. And he's got you going through hoops. This way, jump. He's leading you around. He's got you on a twisted, perverted leash. 
and you don't even realize it. You guys okay? Is there any questions? You all good? Okay, listen, this is good. Casting down, casting down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Look, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. How do you bring a thought into captivity? Into the obedience of Christ, Christ the truth. He's the way, the truth, the life. How do I cast it down? With Jesus. (laughs) I find myself in him. And if what I'm hearing doesn't equate with who I am in him, lie, cast it down. (laughs) You better believe my life's worth living, right? That's how you respond, loser. Father, I thank you. Watch what I do. I never acknowledge the devil, ever. I totally ignore him and I love it. We're not taught to do that. I totally ignore him. When he whispers stupid stuff, I proclaim truth as if I never heard him and I don't even connect to that if I heard him. If I would hear loser, which I would never hear now, he wouldn't even dare speak that to me. I will prophesy my destiny. (laughs) If he whispers loser, I will prophesy my whole legacy. Oh, see, I feel I'm so fired up. I'm almost wishing he'd say it. I'm just... (laughs) (laughs) We're so afraid of what he's saying and doing. My goodness, let's just get built up in truth. Look, if he'd be... Loser, God can't love you. Well, your life doesn't mean much. People don't really like you. You saw how they didn't really come to you. They came to those so-and-so and so-and-so. You're always alone. People hear that kind of stuff. And you're driving and you're leaving church and you're hearing that crazy stuff. Father, I thank you that you love me so much. Father, I thank you that you've filled my heart with who you are and who I am in you. And God, I thank you, you've put me on the earth to love. My life is so full of value now. I finally understand it's not about men towards me, but me towards people. And I thank you, God, that my heart is fulfilled in you. God, I thank you, and he just And if you get done and you're praying, the devil says, oh yeah, okay. They're just following the teaching Dan just gave them. They won't last long in this. They'll turn this into a method real quick. And Father, I just thank you right now. Oh my goodness. Watch what happens. As you start engaging, you start learning what it means to even commune with God and release faith. And it's not a, it's not a strategy. It's not, it's not just talk. It engages you with truth, with God. All of a sudden, grace, and now your heart's illuminating. Actually, what the devil's doing, if you respond the way God set it up, the devil's actually pushing you into the presence of God. Yeah. <laughs> That's the way God's designed this thing. The devil's actually pushing you into intimacy. (laughs) And we have been deceived and turned it into warfare and fighting the devil instead of receiving God's love. So we have, if we're not careful, we have low identity and we're fighting the devil with low identity. And we're, because we're threatened by him. So when we're threatened by him, we fight. If you're not threatened by him, you just respond in truth. You're not threatened by him. But see, you feel that intimidation. You get like a cat in the corner. Cat in the corner. Cats. 
<laughs> nice kitty, nice kitty. It's Thanks, Vicky. Oh, I feel it. Okay. Oh, I'm good. Give me some water. I'm good. So, <laughs> thanks for walking me through that. So, <laughs> no, I don't need to kiss him, but I'll just. So, uh, so, so, watch this. When you feel threatened by something, you tend to fight and defend. Watch. When he sees you're threatened, he knows you're vulnerable to the very thing he's implying. And it comes harder. Come on, this is clear. The weapon among warfare isn't fighting him. It's casting it down in obedience to Christ. It's proclaiming truth. Is that sweet or what? Oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop, Patty. Don't provoke me to, to anything. I'm, uh, Vicky, Vicky's proclaiming delivered. <sighs> wow. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Whoa. Sounds like you're going to walk in authority. And sounds like things are going to be under your feet. Sounds like when you say, come out of him, he will listen. There's just some power to that scripture there. There's probably means a whole lot more than we realize. So let's just read it through straight now that I preached it. Though we're walking in a body, we don't war according to the way a man fights. For the weapons of our warfare are not fleshy and carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that lifts itself and exalts itself above the knowledge of God or against, against, so it's contrary. Bringing every thought, so he's talking about the battle of the mind, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. You don't, you don't even, sometimes you think, hey, pray for my mind. You know, you can pray, clarity, God, let a, let a peace come to their mind, let a clarity come, et cetera, et cetera. But more than that, it's you taking the truth by faith and living by faith and not being driven by your feelings, impressions, memories. That's right. Going after God. We spend a lot of time in the church ministering to feelings, impressions, and memories. Instead of telling people who they are instead. You follow me? I'm passionate about that. Let's go back to Ephesians. Thanks God. So we're going to take up the whole armor of God. Verse 13. That we may be able to withstand I have the definition right here of withstand. If you have a spirit-filled life Bible, it's right there under, underneath. You can read that and look at that. Vigorously opposing, bravely resisting, standing face-to-face -face against an adversary, standing your ground. That's the one I'd really like you to grab out of that. Standing your ground, not being budged and moved by a lie, by uh, oppression, by adversity, by trials, by conflict. Never losing sight of who you are in the midst of it. If it becomes about the fire and now we're afraid of the fire, you better believe it's going to keep coming. 
they weren't afraid of the fire in Meshach and Abednego's story, and it still came. But because they weren't afraid of it, it had no power to hurt them. We are afraid of the fire, so a lot of our prayers is praying to be in no fire. <laughs> so, so, like, we're so afraid of the lion's den, if we're not careful, we're just praying to never go in there. Daniel put himself in there. Do you understand Daniel put himself in the lion's den? Yes. He knew the decree. He, he opened his window like he did every day. And several times a day, openly, he would kneel. He would worship and pay honor to God openly. And he knew the decree. He could have done it in the closet. He knew the repercussions. He knew what was coming. He literally put himself in there. He didn't go underground. I bet he just wasn't afraid of the lion. I bet he had a greater revelation of God than the lion's den. And I bet that he just didn't love his own life unto death. And he thought, you know what? I'm not going to be driven by any king of the earth when God's king of the universe. That's right. His decree doesn't govern me. God does in the conviction of my heart. So every day, the story of Daniel, he opened up and did what he did openly. And when they saw it, they said, hey, he's doing this. And they threw him in the lion's den. I bet he wasn't afraid of the lion. You know why we pray so hard to stay out of the den? Because we're afraid of the lion. The den means nothing if you're not afraid of the lion. The den's no different than driving to work in your car. <laughs> when you're not afraid of the lion, it's not like you're in a lion's den. It might be some temporal inconvenience. You might not be sleeping where you would like to sleep for a moment. You might be in a different surrounding, but God hasn't changed. Truth's the same. The finished work of Christ is the same. You know what's fun about those stories? If we go through them and they become us, it's no longer a doctrine of philosophy. We're no longer trying to, to, to believe something. It becomes reality. Spend a night in the lion's den and find out he shuts their mouths. That's, that'd be a good morning for you. <laughs> oh, yes, O oh king. My God was able <laughs> to shut the mouth of every lion. For as much as he found me innocent in his sight. Well, what are you through the blood? Whoa. Are you under the law of sin and death or the law of the spirit of life through Christ? Are you innocent in his sight through the blood? So I bet the mouths of the lions must be shut. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, they're just over, overgrown cats. <laughs> oh, no! <sighs> okay. <laughs> Okay, watch this. Take up, take up the whole armor, the whole armor of God that you can withstand in the evil day. <laughs> Is he letting us know that there's evil intention out there and evil workings and schemings? Is he letting you know you live in a spiritual world? Okay, so he doesn't want you to be ignorant to that, but he doesn't want you to be intimidated by that. He wants you to be prepared for that. That's why this chapter's written. Having done all, having done all to stand. 
You take up the whole armor, withstand, having done all to stand, and it kicks off the very next verse and says, stand therefore. (laughs) What other call do we have than to stand? We never retreat. If you study out this armor, you hear all kind of neat teachings on it. There's nothing that covers your back. Why? Because you're never to turn and run. There's nothing on your back. The old armor that they wore, it was, it was a thing of valor. They, they were never to retreat. If you retreated, you were toast. Your enemy ran you down, just stuck the spear right in your back. If you run from your enemy, if you draw back, it says it's to destruction. We are not those who draw back. We step forward believing to the saving of our soul. The salvation of our soul is what faith's all about. First Peter teaches that faith is all about saving your soul, getting your mind redeemed and restored back to truth. Getting it delivered from the effects of the fall, renewed in the spirit of your mind, transformed where you can prove God's will. Your mind is in agreement with truth. That's the saving of the soul. You get it? Because your spirit's born again. But it says faith will have its, its uh, uh, consummation in First Peter. It says the consummation of your faith, the finished effect of your faith, the salvation of your soul. It says don't think it's strange in James 1 when all these trials and adverse things come against you. Let them know that it, know that it causes perseverance or endurance and let her have her perfect work in you. That you be mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. Do you see what God says adversity gives you the ability to do? To grow up in him, to trust him, to believe, and to see clear. So Satan is, is, is actually pushing you into truth, into the presence of God when you're surrendered, when you love not your own life unto death. The accusation day and night, day and night, and day and night against us before God is that you do love your own life. And you're not surrendered, and you're not sold out, and you're in this for other reasons, and he, he tries to find those loopholes. But then he bumps into people like Daniel and Paul and Silas and number one, Jesus. And then that Jesus told us to follow him. (laughs) The things he did, we shall do. Right? Therefore, take up the whole armor. So we're going to stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. Uh, you, you guys, you've, most of you have heard a lot of teachings, I'm sure, on the armor and different things. There's a lot of cool teaching out there. I, I... I would love to simply impart to you today, it's the finished work of Christ. There's men that took time to break down what the soldiers would wear in those days. Joshua and all those fellows and the way they suited up and and all the different Saul and the armies and and, and there's there's significance to a lot of this stuff to that day and and it it is neat and it's fun. Garden your waist, there's a thing they would wore to protect vitals and sensitive area and man you you gird your waist with truth let me just be real with it so satan doesn't get away with any low blows follow me athletes wear things cups and supports and you're girding your waist with truth why so he never again can get away with a low blow. Let me just say it plain. 
I was looking for grace and how to teach this out, but you all get it. It works. Patty loves it. She's like, cool. That's not a whatever. That's cool. <laughs> Put on the blessed plate of righteousness. What's that cover? Serious vitals. You your lungs, your respiratory, your heart, your vitals. You put on the breastplate of righteousness so he can't break your heart anymore. So he can't take the wind out of you. Yeah, because I know who I am. He can't stick me vitally anymore because I'm hooked up to the lifeline of God. Right, Lindy? He's never cut the umbilical cord. Yeah. So I'm right in his sight. When soon as you're conscious of sin and you remain conscious of sin, it's amazing what that does to you spiritually. Soon as you live condemned, guilty or ashamed, it's amazing what that does to you spiritually. It's like cutting your juggler vein. You have to, you, that we die to sin might live for righteousness. He rules his kingdom with the scepter of righteousness. He says, my daughter, and you kneel before him, and he says, righteous. And you stand up, and you're a valiant warrior, ready to war in righteousness. <gasps> he knights you in righteousness. He rules his kingdom with the scepter of righteousness. You come and you bow before him and you cast your crown and you're humble and you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and in due time he'll lift you up. He's righteous child of God, rise and win. Rise and win. You see? That's how the gospel works. It's a beautiful thing. The kingdom of God, it's not meat, it's not drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Psalms 85, righteousness and peace have Kissed, because if you're right with God, you have peace with God. We're not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to salvation, for in it, righteousness is revealed. See the power of righteousness? To stand right before him. Did you have a question, Rachel? Comment? Um, I think I got this before, but uh, I just wanted to kind of ask it and bring it out. Um, you know, because I've been around where you know, you, you look at this armor and you're like proclaiming it over you, but what you're actually saying and what you're teaching us is that we need to know that that's who we are. It's your identity. It's not right, something it's you not, have to put on every day. It's something right. you're already dressed in. Right. When do you ever take it off? You never take it off. So if you have to put it on every day, when do you take it off? Yeah. Now I understand what people mean by it, that you're putting it on, you're just, it's like communion. So you can do it as a contact point of faith and just, God, thank you that I'm righteous. Thank you that. But, but truth is something you do. You build up your heart in truth. You live truth. You cast down. That's how you put it on. You see what I mean? Righteousness. Father, I thank you today. You see me through the blood. I'm squeaky clean in your presence. I have every reason to run this day in confidence and win and bring glory to your name. God, I thank you that you've caused me to love people. And you, da, 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 da. You're, That's what you do when you're in fellowship relation with God. Every time you're doing that, you're wearing the finished work of Christ. As opposed to quoting scripture, we have reduced a lot of these things that God wants to be your reality, we've reduced them into confession sheets and methods in the quoting of scripture. Like you can quote, I have the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ all day long till you're out of breath. That is not going to put the mind of Christ in you. 
What puts the mind of Christ in you is looking into his heart. Let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ. And then he shares what motivated Christ. You surrendering, submitting to God, yielding to that motivation, standing up changed. Because you're giving yourself to him. You see what I'm saying? It's not just I got the mind of Christ, I got the mind of Christ, I have the mind of Christ. What does that mean to you anyway? What do you even know about that? What does that actually mean to have the mind of Christ? So it's not a confession. It's not just walk the floor and confess a scripture. Uh, Here's a good one. Oh God, I'm going to get in trouble. I just can tell. (laughs) By your stripes I'm healed. By your stripes, Lord Jesus, I'm healed. I'm healed by your stripes. It's by your stripes that I'm healed. By your stripes I'm healed. You can do that as a method. You can turn that into a way to be healed. It can become a work. It's a confession. It's over and over. And it's a spiritual truth. But it's not the way. It's because of the way. And you have to understand his love for you that releases that truth in your life. And it would be a whole lot better to read by your stripes I'm healed. And get in communion with God. Father, I believe I understand this. You took sin and put it on your son and the effects of sin into his body to set me free and make me clean. God, your love for me is immeasurable. It's unsearchable. It's unfailing. Right now, I receive your love, and I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice of your body. That's what I teach. Taking by your stripes, I'm healed, understanding it, and turning it into relationship with the Father. Are you following me? Or you're going to quote that for three weeks and be sicker, and discouraged, why isn't this working? What else should I do? And none of that's invoking you to relationship. It's actually, if anything, getting you confused, troubled in your heart, and maybe even separating you from relationship. Because what you're taught's not working. Well, how can't relationship with God work? That has to work, relationship with God, and everything flows from relationship with God. So I told you way back in the beginning of the school, I didn't say confession sheets were bad. I said I'm not a fan of them. You can take a confession sheet and use it, a well-written confession sheet, and use it to springboard you into communion with God. But I don't encourage that people just quote it and quote it and quote it and quote it without communion with the Lord. Just being plain with you on that. This is what I believe. So we got the... Oh, God. The breastplate, I'm not good, I'm not doing good. The breastplate of righteousness, I'm not. I'm trying to get this done by break. And I didn't even get started. I didn't even get to the prayer part. Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of peace, above all, that's pretty amazing, above all. You hear the emphasis? Above what? Above all, the shield of faith. So he wants you to live apart from feelings. Faith separates you from feelings. Do you understand that? You're not going to live sensual when you're living by faith. You're living by the word. And he's saying, above all, live by my word. That's really what he's saying. Above all, live by my word. Take the shield of faith. Live by my word. You continue in the word, you'll know the truth and the So it's not a mystical thing. It's not a mist coming. Freedom. Truth makes you free. I understand God touches people and delivers people. I've seen a lot of stuff like that. But I always give strong truth to folks. 
Watch this. Above all, the shield of... Now watch. With which you will be able to quench... Does your Bible say that? It doesn't say some. That's amazing. Faith. Above all, faith. Do you see why Satan works so hard to keep people living by their feelings? Because faith quenches everything he throws at you. Blocks everything. Faith blocks everything. (laughs) See why I'm so militant when I teach on this topic and address feelings and emotions and memories and dreams? I'm, I'm, I'm not being insensitive. What does it matter if you had a dream about your past? If you can wake up and lift your hands and thank God that you're born again and that nightmare is over and you didn't survive, you've overcome and he has snatched you out of darkness and I thank you my life is forever changed. Why do I need to call you crying to pray for me because I had a bad dream? I'm, I'm saying that on prayer. I want it to sound foolish the way we handle this stuff because you're asking for another one. You're asking for another dream when you respond the the wrong way. If you respond the way I just said to respond and Satan's doing it, he's going to stop real quick if you're getting up and enjoying your salvation and rejoicing in truth. It's just like insomnia. You're rolling in bed at night and you know you got to get up at 5.30 for work and it's 2.30 and there you are rolling and awake and you look at the clock and the tendency is to think for yourself and, 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 and just live in the moment and go, oh no, God, it's 2.30. I should be sleeping. I got to wake up at 5.30. God, this oh, devil binds you. And now you're frustrated and you can't sleep. Insomnia. You say, and you, and you pray for me. The devil's keeping me up at night. And I got insomnia. And it becomes this big. And now I tussle and roll. Next thing you know, I think I got to take something to get to sleep. If it's insomnia and you believe it's the devil, sit up in your bed. Look at the clock. Smile. Say, Father, it's amazing that I'm awake at 2.30. There must be something on your heart. God, your grace is in me. And your grace is sufficient. And I thank you that at 5.30, I won't blink an eye and be tired because you're in me. What do you want me to pray? How can I minister your heart in prayer? How can I proclaim decree? Decree, I'll do whatever's on your heart now. I'm awake. You must have something on your heart. Thank you that I'm awake in you. And the devil's over here going, No, you idiot, it's insomnia. You're supposed to be frustrated and mad and angry and wake up in the flesh. God didn't wake you up. I woke you up. You're supposed to be mad. Where is God? Woke you up. See, loving not your own life is a big deal. So if he is waking you up, if the devil is waking you up, and you respond that way, will he keep waking you up? No, no. If you respond in Christ. Do you think he'll keep waking you up to invoke you into prayer? No. Hello? But I tell you what, 
If you lose your soul and you start complaining and you have a reason to have a bad day. Well, no wonder I feel this way because I didn't get no sleep. I said, well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you probably slept good. I didn't. So get off my back. Next thing you know, you're justifying your flesh, justifying your disposition, justifying your day. And you're just setting yourself up for another turmoil night and more frustration. And then it leads to, well, why won't God let me sleep? God, let me sleep. He's waiting for a little attitude adjustment here so that you get a good grip. Because if you don't change your attitude in that, you're so vulnerable for so many things. You'll just be a prodding thing. You'll just be a pin cushion. And you're not. You're a son and a daughter. You guys all right? It's, yes. it's helping you? Yes. It's clear. Yes. You think it's insomnia. You sit up and thank God for waking you. And thank God there must be something in his heart. And I'm ready to pray. I'm telling you, the devil will freak out. He's not used to that with Christians. He's used to us responding in the flesh at 2.30 in the morning. And he's used to us when that alarm goes off at 5. Oh, God. And the only level of prayer we have is, God, help me. <laughs> serious no you sit up and you say father wow it's not wrong to be tired guys come on we're not preaching some kind of condemnation thing it's not wrong to feel tired in the morning but it's what you do you live out of here so you're tired father I just thank you today man my flesh feels tired it feels like I could have slept two three more hours easy but the truth is I got to go to work and I thank you for provision in the job I thank you today as a blessing and your spirit's in me God I'm getting up in you get a grip on your soul don't let come out of you come on some folks need to hear that I can tell in my heart it's just it's healthy it's going to help you in the long run are you letting me know what time it is? I am very aware of it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I am. I'm like, God, it's too late. <clears throat> Taking the helmet of salvation. Wow. Above all, the shield of faith. He actually made that like the most important piece. Isn't that amazing? So as important as righteousness is, 2 Peter 1, we've obtained like precious faith by the righteousness of God in Christ. See the order? You wear righteousness and face the result. What's righteousness taking you to? Faith. What's so important to live your life? Faith, it comes from righteousness, but faith, it's working through love. Love and righteousness are really hand in hand. Second Peter chapter 1, first verse. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. It says, we've obtained like precious faith by the righteousness of God. So we're supposed to all understand this truth. And it should have the same result in our soul. You get it? So we're going to take the helmet of salvation. Now that's a neat one. Because that protects your mind. Actually in a war it would protect your head and your brain and all that. And, and, and all the sensitive parts of your head. The face or your, your, your skull. But spiritually speaking. Guess what, it, guess what I believe is the most important thing about this helmet thing. What it really means. It's an eternal view that life is bigger than today and you have to look to the joy set before you to press through some pain. It's the helmet of salvation. You're saved. 
You, it's an eternal view. It's a bigger picture than now. It can also, when you look at salvation, soteria, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, you're looking through a redemptive eye, a redemptive mind. You understand the will of God is to restore and redeem. So you can find all that in the helmet of salvation. You follow me? So it's a belief and understanding of the heart of God. God's not trying, it's like when people don't understand who's behind it and whose fingerprints are on it and you think God is setting you up for destruction to try you and test you or you th- think God's using sickness to teach you a lesson or it's very hard to wear the helmet of salvation. You probably took it off actually <laughs> or never put it on. Salvation, soteria, healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, kept safe and sound. It reveals the intention and heart of God through the Son. You put that on and understand God's will for your life. And you see a bigger picture than today. And like Jesus who went through, and because we carry our cross church for the joy set, so people are do, doing terrible things against you and it's injustice and you see a bigger picture. You see something down the road. You literally prophesy and declare. You stand the position. You don't budge. You don't buckle. You don't lash out. You stay in position for a testimony, for a legacy, for a heritage in the Lord. And you see reconciliation and restoration and the redemption of many because of the trial. You don't just say, man, I can't believe they did that to me. Are you guys all right? You good? Okay, because we got to take a break. Praying always. Praying when? Always. With, wow, this is an interesting phrase. With all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end. With all perseverance. So it sounds like we're in, right? Sounds like we're committed. Sounds like there's no turning back. There's nothing on our back. So there's no backsliding. There's no, we're in this thing. Amen? With all perseverance. Yeah, but you don't know what I'm going through. Shh. Because when you talk like that, you're actually cheering yourself on. You're giving yourself permission to not be in perseverance. You're actually singling out your scenario and giving yourself a reason to be less than what the Bible's cheering you on in. Follow what I'm saying? You have to be very careful with that stuff. And supplication for all the saints. So let me just close with this and and we'll take a break. You all care if I take like five minutes and do this? It's it's, intercession. I just want to touch one side of intercession. Intercession is very deep in the ball. I can't cover it all and I don't even feel like I necessarily God's asking me to do it and if he is asking me to cover it more I can later in this session or tomorrow. We'll see what happens. All prayer. There's prayers there's prayers of, of committal, commit, commit yourself to the Lord and your ways will be established. There's, 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 there's communion with the Lord. 
There's, there's this committal prayer. It's just giving yourself to him, surrendering yourself to him, declaring that he's in you and you're in him and my life is wholly given to you, God, and thank you for the leading of your spirit. And Father, I thank you today that your wisdom is my wisdom. And as I walk into life, I thank you, Father, that I'm looking through the very heart of God and I'm seeing the world from your view because you're one with me. You've come and you've made me your, your child. See what I mean? There's, there's a committing of yourself as you're going out into your day. There's a giving of yourself to truth. There's, a, there's just different forms of prayer. There's a supplication is mentioned specifically here. So I wanted to talk about intercession and, and, and any form of prayer. That's why I took you to the scripture where it says all prayer, all manner of prayer. So that's just some prayer up as prayer, anything on behalf of something, okay? It, it's not to come from the place of pain and hurt even if there's pain and hurt, we have to understand the motive of love in prayer. We, even when somebody does something really bad, the easiest thing to do is just pray because you're hurt. That is a zero prayer. That is that you pray because you're hurting for a bigger picture than your feelings. So even if your feelings got violated, you get a grip on them first and get into that submitting, committing place. God, right now, that threw me for a loop. That really caught me off guard. It's okay to be honest with the Lord. That really caught me off guard. And I actually feel like that one stuck me. I feel like something got past the shield and hit me in the heart. And the truth is my war is not against flesh and blood, God. It actually, there's a bigger picture. I can't afford to take this personally. The temptation would be to do this. If I didn't know you and you didn't sow your word in me, I'd be crushed right now. I don't think I'm crushed, but I felt like it hurt. So God, I just settle that now. And you walk that through in prayer. And, and I realized that, that, that if they really saw the truth, they wouldn't have, there's something there, God, that needs aligned, strengthened, and healed. And God, I can't let that reproduce in me. And this isn't about me personally. So Father, I just right now release all that. There's a way to be real with God. You're not just called to. <gasps> I'm going to be fun with you. Don't hear this arrogant or anything. Could you tell that I was struggling? Do you know how I flow when I prayed? Could you tell I was struggling for words on that one? Because I don't get hurt. Could you tell I was struggling to pray? I was trying to come up with analogies because I don't relate to being hurt. I'm going to cry because I'm so humbled by that. That's a blessing. I don't relate to being hurt. So I'm trying to pray as if we're hurt and I, can't, I don't know what that means. So I'm here trying to come up with a prayer to help anybody that relates to hurt and I don't feel grace on it. Because <laughs> God's telling us not to be hurt. Could you tell I was struggling for words? Because usually I can just go with it because I can relate to what I'm saying. You talk about relationship, I just... <laughs> but it's the truth there. It just hit me to share that with you. I just saw, ew, that didn't even feel like grace. Cause I'm, but if what I'm saying is, so don't hear that in, in comparison. If you heard what I said and took that in comparison, now if you're feeling hurt, you're going to feel, wow, I'm condemned. I shouldn't be hurt. No, what God's saying is, through the example is, if that does happen, man, be aware of it. See it for what it is and thank God for the light in your life that's exposing it where you're not just crushed. And flip it into truth and, 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 and realize you're not warring against flesh and blood and God, show mercy and build truth and God, thank you. You see what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay.
intercession to mediate, to go on behalf of one, to mediate. Jesus makes intercession for us. Some people preach it as if he's sitting there praying for us. The word is mediation. It actually means to go on behalf of, to represent, to stand before on behalf of. Jesus is sitting representing man to God. It's not that he's verbally praying. I honestly don't believe there's any language that reveals he's verbally praying. But he's going on behalf, but his blood is speaking. Are you following? And, and I don't mind if you believe, I'm not trying to fight. I, I, if he's praying for us, tangibly praying for us with words, that's awesome. I'm not saying I hope he's not or hey, he's not. I just can't find it scripturally. Mediation means he's a go-between. He's the mediator. He's making intercession. He's going on behalf of us to God. He's in the holy place of God's tabernacle at the right hand of God on the mercy seat, sitting on his own blood, declaring that it's able to accomplish what it proclaims. That's mediation. That's intercession. That's what the word intercession means in that sense. But intercession in prayer is like a priestly role. So the high priest would go in and and Revelation says we're kings and priests unto our God. So through the mediation of the blood of Jesus, we can go into the throne room. Hebrews 4, like 13, because we see we have a high priest, Jesus is on the mediation of Jesus, we go into the throne, it's a very legal thing, it's very powerful, and with boldness, and receive help and mercy in a time of need. Now you don't wanna go in there without a heart of love, because he's love. You wanna go in there on behalf of something, intercession, so you have the right, scripturally, I, I believe this, you have the right to go in to the throne room of God and present someone to him and represent them before him as if their heart was crying out themselves because of love. That's how you can forgive the sins of any. They can be forgiven that way. You, you represent that. You're actually, when I got saved, two people that hardly didn't see me for four years started to cry for me, pulled off along the road, and they both cried, prayed for my soul, crying, and two weeks later I had that encounter at work. That's powerful. It changed my life forever. Two people representing the heart of God for me before God through men because God gave the earth to men to subdue it and govern it in his heart, in his name, by his spirit. We're more major players than we realize. We're key players in this. It's God's design. He did this. It's not presumptuous. So when two people yielded their day, their time, their schedule and pulled over, parked the car and cried, that was grace. They yielded. The wife said, oh my God, I'm going to. He said, we got to pray. They pray. He saw me two weeks after I was saved in a gas station. I hadn't seen him for years and he waved to me and I saw him and I was so excited because I knew he'd be excited that I was born again and had this, because I knew that they used to love on my wife and do a home group and, and, and I knew him when I went to church and was playing a hypocrite and got to know their family, but I wasn't on page but I knew they were nice people, sincere people, and they loved the Lord. So I ran over all excited to tell him. He said, how are you doing? I said, oh my goodness. I said, man, let me tell you. I began to tell him I'm weeping, and he's just weeping and sobbing. I'm thinking, boy, he's really touched about my salvation. He said, when did this happen? I said, about two weeks ago. I'll never be the same. He went, I'm going to tell you something very powerful. 
And he told me how two weeks before that, him and his wife were crying for my soul along the road. Forgive him, God, and have mercy on him. God, release him into his calling and his purpose, God. God, if he sinned, forgive him and cover him with the blood and let your spirit come. Not... God, why was he constantly do this? You need to straighten him out. And God, you need to, and he stop hurting his wife. And you need to start. See, I have to work to try to pray that way. <laughs> I have to really try to think. <laughs> it's always speaking the answer. It's always speaking life. Intercession, there's people that say they're intercessors and they say they're carrying the burden of the Lord. And I've seen many intercessors deceived by that and they totally get suppressed and pressed in their emotions and feelings as if they're carrying the burden of the Lord and, and, and they can't even get up. There's a, th that's not healthy intercession. And then their leaders, they're preaching. I've seen inter intercessors. They say they're intercessors. They're pre pastors preaching. And then they spend all day crying in their house and say the Holy Spirit was grieved. And then every time they come to church, they're listening and watching and slipping out and crying. And now they're just projecting. And they fall and pray to a critical spirit. Holy Spirit's not curled up in a corner crying. He's the God of all hope. He speaks life. When we were yet sinners, he came and sent his son. God wasn't a basket case in the corner of the throne room because all his kids wouldn't line up. I'm just telling you, some of this stuff gets twisted. And I'm not saying you wouldn't get the burden of the Lord. I've carried the burden of the Lord. I went for a year and a half where the Lord put something on me and some people questioned if I was deceived and I, I was in fellowship with the Lord and I was very confident, had a clear conscience. But for an hour, hour and a half, sometimes two hours and one time, three straight hours, I would just hit me out of the blue and I would cry and I couldn't even talk and he'd show me things and I'd cry and it was intercession and I'd just say, mercy God. But when I got up from that place, I was me. And it always ends, when it's true intercession, it has to always be answer conscious yes. and proclaiming truth. If you have a, a, a child that's going wayward, I don't believe God is asking you to just mourn and cry every day till they turn around. Because then you lose your identity, you lose your purpose, you don't bear fruit. Your child's waywardness is dictating your life. And you say, but I pray every day. But it's because you're finding your identity through them. And you need them to turn around so you can be okay. No, you see them turned around. And you be okay. That's faith. Let me give you an example. Father, I just thank you for Billy. And God, I thank you right now. I just cover him with your love. I, I'd love him. I forgive him. Search my heart, God. I know he is so much more than he's given himself to, but this turn that he's taken will not destroy him. I declare your grace over him, your favor. I refuse to live in fear because I see you have a calling on his life. Your word is effectually working in his heart. And Lord God, I thank you that even now you're ministering your spirit to him to turn him to you where he sees your face. And God, I thank you 
that you are bringing him home by the wooing of your spirit. I declare it, God, this turn will not destroy my son. And I thank you that you have great plans for Billy. And I thank you that you lift him up in your love, in your mercy, in your forgiveness, and absolutely consume him with your spirit. He will do great things because of destiny. You've ordered his steps. I believe God inside. He can now hear the voice of God crying out. And I thank you he cannot live unaware of your wooing and your drawing. And I thank you for the victory in Jesus' name. And then you go to work and you're free. Because all you see when you look at your son Billy is the destiny of God fulfilled, not a son that's lost. And you cover him with prayer and you thank God. And it's not even something you'll find yourself having to do every day. Because there's faith in your heart. And if you think of Billy and you're like, hmm, God, yeah, amazing awareness for you. Today, wow, what are you doing, God? You're up to something. You're touching Billy. God, I thank you right now that you are wooing Billy. I believe right now you're whispering to his heart. He hears you. And I thank you that you make your voice so loud inside that he can't help but to see truth. God, thanks for loving my son. Thank you that you have not left him slip away. God, even in his weakness, you are making him strong. And God, thank you, my heart believes. That's true intercession. I love when you do that because it, it makes me feel like I'm doing it right. Yeah. See you give an example like that. Amen. Yeah. Because wh- why the forlorn? Why the, oh God. There's a place where the Spirit of the Lord can, because I don't want people to fight over this. There is a place, I understand people have had experiences, I have too, where God will put his heart in you for a moment, where you actually take the position of true repentance for a situation. But it's a moment. And then it's accompanied with a great answer and a declaration of triumph and victory. It is not weeks of repentance. When you repent, how long does it take to get forgiven? There is a place for a heart cry. When I got saved, there was a few minutes where I felt like I wanted to die inside. I was so sorry. I felt so, I was so aware of, uh, there's seasons and places where God will take you in prayer where you'll come face to face with that stuff. Almost cry uncontrollably. God, your mercy. You'll find in those places, usually all you can ask for is mercy. But, but, but if you're really tuned in and listening, there's a point where you can rise to your feet and by the Spirit of God begin to declare truth over that situation because once there's repentance, now there's grace. So you're literally coming on behalf of someone, not holding their sins against them, but seeing they have a greater value. So here's what you're doing. You're actually petitioning the heart of God and the vision of God back to God from your own being as intercession and through the blood of Jesus, God's spirit reaches out to them. Does that make sense? That sure beats fear and worry and anxiety and losing your identity over people. It's healthy intercession. It's just, I just as a side that I really wanted to touch you. You guys, oh my goodness, go to break. Did you just stay seated just one oh, more minute. Stay yeah, seated. That was really good. Some um, of them are rocking. It's power of God. <laughs> Deb and Becky have a really cool announcement. And everybody's in here, so. 
Uh, Debbie and I wanted to uh, set up a time of fellowship for us for on Friday for um, kind of a last ending class thing. And it kind of turned into something bigger than what we expected. So uh, we were at this campground asking if we could use their chapel and, uh, and uh, see if we could camp out there for whoever wanted to camp. She got excited and wants to know if she could put the night of worship on their calendar. Awesome. Yeah, it was, it was pretty amazing. I, just, I said, yeah, <laughs> anybody can come. <laughs> so um, we have talked to some people in here about um, leading worship. So if anybody else would be, like to be a part of that, we have a sign-up sheet. Um, we wouldn't just want to go and just fellowship, have fun, and worship with the Lord. So the time of worship will be 7 o'clock on Friday night at uh, Cedar Lake Camp. It's on Pine Hill, and we'll put maps out here. Um, if you want to stay in camp, it's $7 to camp for the night, which is really cheap. We'll have a sign-up sheet at the table. And, um, yeah, we're, uh, after the worship time, we're going to have a campfire, and whoever wants to bring stuff for s'mores and snackies, go ahead and do that. And if you want to camp, please bring your own food. So, any. Um, I just want to announce that today is Katrina's last day. We're actually leaving, like, right as, at break. And uh, anybody that wants to pray for her or say goodbye, that's a good time to do it. All right, you're on break. And this is Katrina. Stand up, Katrina. I don't know if everybody knows you. Okay. All right, break time. Uh, talking about intercession, I just, I, I really just wanted to talk about uh, that, because there's the prophetic side to intercession. There's, there's, there's places where you'll see things in the spirit when you have, when you care about, because he says to, to pray for men in authority, pray for all men, pray for people in authority. Who knows, we can pray for countries. We can pray for the move of God in countries. You can believe for a lot of things. There's a lot of stuff you can pray for. If you'd write a list, it would be non, it would be, it would be non-ending. Yeah, okay. Linda just asked, what is supplication? Good question, because that's where I'm heading. I just wanted to, inter intercession, supplication probably literally means to plead your case, to supplicate, to plead your case. Uh, a good way to do that, it's not, and you hear some people teach it out, and I'm not contesting it, I'm not saying they're wrong, I, I, you live out of your conscience. You have faith for things. So it's not a right or wrong thing a lot of times. It's what people have faith for. And uh, like I don't supplicate God in the way where I hold him to his word. He knows his word. He's raised his word above his name. So I don't have to remind him of his word and hold him to his word like we teach sometimes, I think. Supplication is really uh, pleading the truth and the right we have through Christ. It's bearing witness with God's heart and intention. It actually, it releases great faith in you. And uh, uh, I can give you an example. Let's just use the, let's just use the, uh, okay, let's just say a marriage. 
Let's just say a marriage. So a marriage doesn't seem to be going well and it's drifting away and you have a heart for reconciliation. It seems like your spouse has no heart for reconciliation. Is that a good example? Can we go with this one? Supplication. Father, I thank you that you honor marriage. Father, I thank you that, it, that you instituted marriage. You said that a man should leave his father and mother and the two should come together and become one. God, my heart is sealed in oneness and I see myself one with my spouse. And Father, I thank you that there is a grace that will hold this thing together. It is my desire, Lord God, to do whatever necessary in love to just hold on and manifest Christ. I thank you that you're ministering to the heart of my spouse, preserving covenant. And no matter where they're at today and what they're doing, I thank you that you're turning their heart back into this place of oneness and union. And Father, I thank you that it's your will and your desire for this covenant to remain as one. It's a pleading of your case. You're bearing witness with the heart of God. You're, 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 you're grabbing a hold of what you believe is the will of God for the situation and saying, I'm in. But, but you're actually bearing witness of his heart and it releases faith that, you know what? You're for us and not against us. The Lord is my helper. What shall I fear? What can any man do to me? Father, I'm not threatened by other people in my spouse's life. I'm not threatened by illicit affections and attractions. I'm believing you're the one that's holding their heart. Did you not institute marriage? And did you not put this love in my heart and cause me to see? And all of a sudden you bear witness of the grace in your life. And God, I'm in position for reconciliation. You see what I mean? That sure beats, I can't believe they're treating this way. God, you gotta work something in me. God, you gotta save my marriage. <laughs> Just being real. <laughs> because if you stay too long in that, you start feeling sorry for yourself and don't even realize it. You start crying your own tears. And you're saying, Dan, come on. You're just like, you're saying we gotta be robots and you can't even be hurting stuff. I'm telling you, love will perfect you in a place where you'll start living from love. I don't see Jesus anywhere in the Bible with his feelings hurt. But I do see him saying, follow me. <laughs> got y'all, I got y'all, see? <laughs> We are so used to our feelings hurt that we feel like we have to find permission to stay that way and it's the weakest place. You don't even like it. Come on. You don't even like it. It's miserable <laughs> living with your feelings hurt. But, but what we do is we take that to prayer from that place to prayer and our prayer is so biased. It's from a hurting heart instead of a heart of faith and love. Okay, good example. Jesus, he's aware that Satan is trying to cut down Peter. In prayer, he obviously saw Peter denying him. Who knows that's true? But he prayed. He tells Peter, Satan's been looking here to sift you like we, his intention and desire, his request is to sift you like we, but I have prayed for you. Oh, do you hear the strength in that? <laughs> do you see intercession there? He has plans for you and he's trying to pull you into this, but I have prayed. And when you return to your brother, 
And when you return, he says, strengthen your brother. He actually saw him for a moment falling apart. Repent. Whatever he saw there through denying and crying and fear of the Jews. When Jesus came back from the dead, where was Peter? With the rest of them all in fear of the Jews. They weren't in a faith-filled prayer meeting. They were hiding. He saw all that versus this. He sees all that. God, but I sowed so much into him. He says he'd die for me, and now he's going to turn around and deny me? God, people are so hypocritical. God, you need to do something. Touch Peter. Whack him. Change him. <laughs> God, he, he like tells me one thing, and he's doing another? You're kidding me. Wow, why are you showing me he's going to deny me? I should have never trusted him in the first place. I sowed a lot of years. I probably picked the wrong guy. I probably didn't hear your voice in the first place. I probably should have got Fred, not Peter. See, when love's not in the picture, the interpretation of everything you hear and see gets so muddy. Watch this. I'm a firm believer of this, that God is limited to entrust us with stuff that he would like to because of how we'll respond and interpret. He can tell himself anything because he knows everything. So the more you become the heart of God inside of you, the more he can disclose stuff because you won't mishandle it, misuse it, or be hurt by it. It's the most excellent way to move in the gifts. So no wonder, was, was God dumping Peter's dirt to Jesus? He was showing his weakness and the schemes that were set against Peter, and he was entrusting that information to perfect love. So perfect love could respond back on Peter's behalf. He must have interceded for Peter. Without interceding for Peter, I wonder what might have ever happened to Peter. That's an interesting question. He sees this in prayer. He's not heard. He's not taken back. He doesn't say, man, I picked a bunch of knuckleheads. God, are you sure you, we got the right guys? Well, what do you mean he's going to, you mean Satan's going to, and he's going to deny me? He's like boastful in front of the guys. He's like, Hans, macho, I, I'll die. You could get hurt by stuff like that in the flesh. I love that. Jesus, can you picture Jesus sitting there talking to Peter? You know, Peter, I've been praying for you, man, and I've seen something. Satan has a real strategy set against you. And uh, there's something that's going to really take place here, and it's going to try to throw you for a loop. He's trying to sift you like wheat and just wreck everything that's been imparted, proclaimed, and prophesied from the beginning of time for your life. But you know what? Take heart, because I've prayed for you. That is so powerful. That's not arrogant. It's not hypo-spiritual. That is so powerful. But I have prayed, and Peter... When you return, strengthen your brothers. What he's saying is, you're still qualified. You're still who I see you to be. Oh my goodness, I smelled my heart. When you return, 
Strengthen your brethren because you haven't lost nothing. The gifts and callings are without repentance. You'll be wiser, sharper, more mature, have a greater zeal than ever. And what you did, you'll never do again because you'll know me more. And the next time you see Peter, he's standing in front of the very people that schemed the death of Jesus. And he says, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you or to listen to God, you need to determine that. But I can't help but to proclaim what I've both seen and heard. Before that, he's denying Jesus to a servant girl. Now he's standing before the Sanhedrin, fearless, not loving his own life unto death. That kind of love will make you a warrior. That kind of forgiveness will get you on team. When you return, what do you mean when I return? Well, Peter, you're going to deny me three times. It's not the same exact setting, but there's, it's all connected. He says, you're going to deny me three times. He says, surely I'll die for you, Lord. I'll die for you. He says, no, Peter. Tonight, before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times that you even know me. And when Jesus turned, he said to the disciples, I'll die for him. I won't deny him. I'll die for him. And all the disciples said the same thing. We'll die for him. Jesus saw him denying him and didn't take it personal. Jesus saw him denying him and in faith probably prophesied and interceded. It's speculation in that sense what he actually said, but he had to go on behalf of them and cover them in prayer. Father, I thank you that what we sowed into Peter cannot be stripped away. Father, I thank you. This is supplication, Linda. I thank you that your gifts and callings are without repentance. You put these men in my heart when I got baptized in the River Jordan. You showed me who you wanted, and I called them to myself that they might be with us. And even though they turn away, God, and make mistakes, and the shepherd is struck, and the sheep will scatter, we haven't changed our mind. Our love shall never fail. I thank you these men are men of destiny. I thank you these men are pillars in your church. I thank you, Father, the gifts and callings will form and mature. And I thank you, even in moments of weakness, we will bring great strength, maturity, and victory. God, thank you that your call cannot be defeated in their lives. And nothing Satan wiles and schemes can outwise and outfox you. You are the Lord God Almighty, and you are amazing. And these men shall fulfill all you created them for. That's a different prayer when you're hurt. You could say all the right things from all the wrong places. (laughs) Jesus said them from all the right places and the power of God went. (laughs) And Jesus said, when you return, strengthen your brethren. Why? Because I prayed for you. You're going to be all right. It's literally what he said. I love that. I don't know about you. That's amazing. So we learn from Jesus That in a priestly role, he lifted his guys before the Lord. And he covered them in prayer. And God gave him discernment of a moment of weakness. Not prophesying uh, failure, but giving him that heads up so he could cover the failure in prayer. And in their weakness, God make them strong. So when Jesus is on the beach being restored, he's telling him, nothing's lost, Peter. Feed my sheep. Feed my little lambs. Right? It's powerful. You got something? Well, something really powerful. 
not fearful anymore. Something had to what do you think? Linda's saying something must have powerfully happened. Sometimes we think it's a bzzz from the Lord. Like, he just like, bzzz. <laughs> I think that's why he <laughs> Here's what happens. Love restores. Love reconciles. Love empowers. The goodness of God leads men to change. All of a sudden, he realizes in the midst of sin, in the midst of fear, in the midst of denial, in the midst of weakness, his heart goes, <gasps> and he's just bitter tears. It says he cried bitterly. Why? Because he's face to face with the weakness of humanity, the love for your own life. He's walked with Jesus for three years and watched selflessness in action. He's watched a life given and surrendered. Now he's watched that little lamb, so to speak, go to the slaughter without a word. Yet he's the son of God and the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he understands at the end, he, he's, well, he doesn't understand that right there. He realizes I betrayed him. He's been more than a friend. He's been more than anything I've ever known. And I couldn't even stand for him. All of a sudden you see the weakness and the wretchedness of your life, etc. But yet the words of Jesus, when you return to your brother and strengthen them, he's on the shore, he's on the beach, and he says, feed my little lambs, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Peter do you love me Peter do you love me Peter and he's restoring him to everything that he designed him for and all of a sudden Peter realizes on his worst day God is the same on his most unlovely day God's love is overwhelming I haven't missed a beat I haven't missed a step God still has me in position it empowers you to rise up oh my goodness and all of a sudden realize this for what it is not love your own life unto death why would I deny one so lovely why would I ever save my own life when my life in him is so powerful I'm going after you God and it put a diligence in it let me show you what repentance does 2 Corinthians 7 Thank you, Lord. He just told me to go here. It's good when the Holy Spirit tells you stuff. He just said, just go to... Hey, really, he said it in English in my spirit. He said, just go to 2 Corinthians 7. It was fun. I was just there preaching. He just said, go to 2 Corinthians 7. It wasn't my mind thinking it. It was Holy Spirit, so it's going to be good. Yeah. He knows the word. <laughs> Look, he didn't read this book. He wrote this book. <laughs> Watch this. Paul wrote a letter to the Corinthians. You know, the Corinthians needed some fathering, some correcting, some reprimanding. Who knows it's not wrong to correct? The correction needs to be in love. It's not wrong to correct. The correction needs to be in love. See... See, if it's in love, it's never fault-finding. It's never criticizing. It's never digging dirt. Sometimes you have to show people what's going on. You have to break it down and say, look, this is such a lie. You have to explain. You have to bring things into the light. You see what I mean? If that wasn't true, you'd never have to correct. The Word of God is actually here for the use of correction. Edification, reproof, how's it go? Instruction in righteousness, yeah. But, 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 watch this, watch. He wrote him a letter, and in verse 8, he, uh, he said, uh, even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it. So, Paul had some feelings and emotions here. Who knows that he doesn't, he doesn't want to be 
Who knows you don't want to hurt people? Who knows sometimes you say something and you'll feel compelled to say something really strong to somebody and after you say it, you think, man, I hope they could handle that. I hope that wasn't too sharp. <laughs> Who's ever done that? Okay, and that's, that's actually okay. It's not a second guess. It's actually your heart staying in a sincere, humble place. You don't need to be right. If you're thinking that, it actually, it's probably a good sign that you thought that in the sense of you, you're not trying to just be right and, and, you know what I mean? You care about people. But it says, I don't regret it, though I did regret it. So that's all he's explaining. He sent off this letter and probably said in his mind, Man, it's pretty strong. I hope they're okay. You see what I'm saying? Though I, did re- I don't regret it, though I did regret it. Now watch what he says. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry. Who knows that sometimes you explain things, you're preaching in a, in a, in a sermon, and the Lord will have you expose a whole bunch of wrong thinking, wrong lies, wrong things and lies, and people all of a sudden in their heart feel sorry. They, oh my God, I've been feeling that way about my neighbor for, oh my God. I, it's the conviction of the Spirit of the Lord. It makes you sorry, but not in a worldly manner. The gospel shines light upon things. It's to bring a godly sorrow in your heart to cause you to see how you're living apart from truth, apart from your creative value, apart from your destiny. It's actually a good thing. If that grace wasn't on the earth, there'd be no such thing as repentance. You follow what I'm saying? Now the key is love. We've turned it into reprimand and a lot of preachers will will preach not from a heart of love. There's, there's ministers that have a pulpit that are actually hurt themselves. So they use the authority of the pulpit to cry out their pain. And it beats sheep and it, 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 it does bad things. You can cattle ranch people. Or you can truly share things for their sake. This weekend at the church I was in, oh my goodness, the grace that came on me. I was going to try to preach a nice fun sermon on righteousness yesterday morning and I stood up and I started to talk and it went and everybody went and and it was just it was an amazing message it was overwhelming to my heart it was like God you are so passionate and sober and serious it's so life-giving it's so whoa and people were they couldn't even they were crying repenting and being changed I was watching it they didn't even, some people didn't even know what to say because it was stuff that you guys hear us preach a lot anymore and we're pursuing and giving ourselves to, but they're hearing stuff for the first time the way they were hearing it. I mean, just simple stuff like, why are we here today? I hope we're not here because it's Sunday. Because listen, and, and people just, everybody in the room went, you should have saw the young people respond, cry. When it was over, there's people at the altar kneeling, weeping, leaving things there, getting up, crying, going, oh my God. He's, some people say, life can't be the same after today. You hear that comment a lot. This changes everything. I was blind. Now I see. Stuff like that happens all the time when you travel. It's really fun. Pastor was, was very excited. So Paul did something like this in his letter. So he wrote and he was correcting and adjusting them like children, right? 
Now I rejoice that you were made sorry. So he's not regretting it. Now he's actually rejoicing that they were made sorry because of what he's perceiving. But that your sorrow led to a change of mind. Not guilt. Not dumb me. Your sorrow led to a change of mind. It's a big deal. It's important. See, God will speak to people in a way to bring repentance. Uh, (laughs) Peter, on the first day of Pentecost, he's preaching all this about God and all this about the prophecies and all about the Son of God. And, and as he's laying it all down, so he's speaking the truth about the Son of God and the working of the Scriptures to bring it to the point of the Savior. And then he turns to the people and said, your Prince, your Savior, whom you killed, whom Pilate was ready to release, and you, you had Barabbas instead released. See, it's not wrong to do that. That was Holy Spirit's first message to the earth. He wasn't pointing out wrong. He wasn't fault finding. He was sharing truth that your Savior was on the earth. And you were so blind that you couldn't see it that you had him killed and had Barabbas released. He was the one the scriptures proclaimed. But you are the ones that turned him over to Pilate. And it says their hearts were cut. Inside, they went, oh my God. And they knew, they were standing there knowing. Some of them were reflecting. I'm sure this had to happen. Some of them were were remembering a month ago or however long it was, 40, 50 days ago, going, Barabbas, Barabbas. Some of them standing there knew that Barabbas was on their lips. That's not condemnation. That was the first message Holy Spirit preached to people. He shared the truth of Christ and the truth of the scriptures and the love of God to send the Son. And then he said, and you guys, because you're not born again, because of the world, the fall is really what it all comes down to. You guys killed your Savior. Now watch what happens in a message like that. They go, oh my God, we did. And immediately they wish they didn't. See, the sorrow led to a change of mind. And they're like, oh my God, I see what I didn't see before. If I saw this before, we wouldn't have killed him. But we, we killed him. Imagine the hysteria, the emotion. I'm sure people pulled their hair and fell on the ground. Don't think it was like, Whoa, man, that's a heavy sermon. Dude, we killed the Son of God. It says they were cut to the heart. It was great emotion, great sorrow. I I picture people pulling their hair in that culture in that day. I picture people just shredding their clothes and falling to the ground bawling. I had a discussion with someone a couple weeks ago. They were, they're concerned about sharing those kind of things that you just need to preach truth, that if you just preach truth, then the lies will get exposed. Well, why not just expose all those lies along with preaching truth? That's what Holy Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. Yeah. 
That's what Jesus did. When the young, rich young ruler walked up to him, what still do I lack? He said, well, fella, actually you're in love with your stuff. You get rid of your stuff and you get rid of your money and come follow me because I love you. The Bible says he loved him, but he told him what was wrong. You actually love your stuff. You need to get rid of your stuff. Your stuff's an idol. Is that what he told the rich young ruler? In Matthew, in John 5, in John 8, he addresses the people. He actually, he actually tells them that if someone comes in their own name, you honor them. But I come in the Father's name and you dishonor me and da-da-da. And he's, he's cutting them to the heart. He's showing them their deception. He's saying, what are you guys doing? That is not condemnation. It leads to godly sorrow. It causes men to change. He said, at one point, you are the children of your father, the devil, etc., etc., etc. In Matthew 23, he really unloaded on the Pharisees at a certain point where you think they would have fell on the ground, trembled, and cried. He actually explained, he said, you're whitewashed tombs. He was telling the people. He wasn't dropping dirt. He's not condemning. They're standing right there. He says, he says do everything they say to do, but don't do what they do. He's not condemning them. He's exposing lies. And he says they want the greatest seats in the marketplace. They want to be seen by men. They want to be honored. See, when you teach that way, you expose that. You convict the heart to not give yourself to that. You show it for what it is. And there's a wonderful, healthy way that Holy Spirit does that. Isn't it amazing that on the first day of Pentecost, Holy Spirit is, is preaching and he's sharing and he's affirming truth and then he looks at the people through Peter and says, and now that he came to save us, you killed him. That's a heavy indictment. Godly sorrow, they were cut to the heart and they said, men and brethren, what should we in other words how can we change this make up for this he's already dead we're hopeless what can we do we already did it but God is amazing isn't he Peter said repent wish you didn't we already do why because the letter made him sorry I'm glad the letter made you sorry because it led you to change Watch the power of God and the love of God. But we killed the Son of God. What do we do? Just wish you didn't. We already wish we didn't. Then be baptized for the remission of your sin and be sons. Do you get this? Be baptized. Call the old man dead. Call that thing dead called sin and blindness and pride. And when you come up out of the water... You won't never be the one that killed the son. You will be a son. Do you see what godly sorrow does? Now, if you don't preach that in love, you can produce condemnation on people if you don't give them the answer. Are you following me? Are you following me? The answer is amazing. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent, change the way you think, be baptized for the removal of sin, and be a son yourself.
You have something? Okay, I I don't really, maybe I'm going to open up a whole can of worms, but... Donna, it's quarter to 12, be careful. <laughs> what about Barabbas? This is really passionate in my heart, because I'm imagining, and I don't, you know, that, so what happened to Barabbas? Perhaps Jesus is there on the cross, saying... It's, it was his good pleasure to set Barabbas free. You might he, be amazed, Barabbas, we would probably all see Barabbas mm -hmm. in heaven. Because <laughs> I've seen situations like that where I, yeah, I, I was blind towards the guilty one choosing to speak life into that situation. I'm not saying that I, I'm always empowered to do that. It's, it's, you right. may well know it's the grace of God. Um, what a beautiful place to be, that childlike faith that says, that person, I don't see him as Barabbas, I see him as a son of God, as who right, he's gonna be. I understand, but you have that revelation now. When they released Barabbas, what were they doing and saying? Were they showing compassion on no. Barabbas because they see his value? No, they're actually degrading Jesus, yeah. saying you're worse than a murderer. Yes. My and Jesus is like amazing, so prophetically, the guilty, he's not even dead on the cross, the guilty are already going free at the cost of the innocent. So See, it's already happening and he hasn't even been pierced yet. It's just amazing. Still, I'm struggling with justice. Justice, Christ did justice at the cross. We're, we still have to do justice, the legal system set up to do justice for against those who have not repented. So I, I guess... Well, not even them. If, if, watch this. So somebody kills somebody. Justice in, 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 the, in the order of the law and stuff, they have to pay, they, they might go to prison for life. That's the natural reality. That's the only level you can reap and sow is the natural. You could kill somebody, go to prison, and absolutely break in your cell. And understand that you had the audacity to take human life and this saw the value of human life and rose your value above and took life and killed someone. You could break, repent and be totally vindicated, totally justified, totally born again and spirit filled and never judged as if you killed a man but yet you're still spending life in prison. But when you stand before God you will never be named a murderer. Ever. Because of the power of God. That's true justice. This is just, yes. you see what I'm saying? Yes. So the Barabbas thing is Peter was addressing their hearts, literally saying he was the prince of life. He was the fulfillment of scripture. He was the one we all waited for and you judged him worse than a murderer. You were so blind and so deceived that you put him on a cross and Pilate was set in his heart to let him go, but you persisted and made sure he was crucified. And they went, we did. And they wept. And here's where God's mercy and justice comes in. It's repentance is so amazing. We're cut to the heart. What do we do? Well, get condemned and suffer. You killed God's son. Well, you think you are to live now. You know. Repent. Wish you didn't. Let your heart change. If you could do it over again, now that you see, surely you wouldn't kill him, would you? No then be baptized and be clean in this matter. And when you come out of the water, I have better news for you. Be part of the family now and be a son. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's justice. It's mercy that is amazing. 
You follow me? Barabbas, I believe. People like that that were shown that kind of, because he's not getting the message yet with the people. He doesn't even understand. But everybody's talking and everybody knows. And even on the road to Emmaus, Emmaus, when Jesus talked, they said, where have you been? You're surely a stranger. Everybody knows what's been going on around here. Don't think Barabbas was ignorant to the fact that Christ raised from the dead. Don't be amazed if he wasn't in the crowd in Acts chapter 2. You might be amazed. When you show that kind of love and that kind of mercy on a person, they are toast. (laughs) Where do you run? Where do you hide? There's people like that. The adulterous woman will not be the adulterous woman. I believe we'll see her too. I believe there's so many people we'll see and we'll just, we'll just worship Jesus for a thousand years and won't even realize it was a thousand years because we'll be so overwhelmed by his love. Watch this. You're made sorry. You're made sorry. Did you see what Paul did when they were made sorry? He actually rejoiced because he perceived it was a healthy sorrow. It doesn't mean he wants them to stay there. When I got born again, I saw the wickedness of my heart, the selfishness of my heart. I saw my life was pitiful, that I was a hypocrite, that I didn't even like me, but I wanted you to love me. All that came to my mind. Why? It's a working of the Spirit. Now to camp there too long, you'll go into condemnation. A lot of the church doesn't understand that process though, so we don't want anybody to cry. The last thing you needed to do to me when I was going through that godly sorrow process was to touch me and say, now look, God doesn't condemn you. I needed to see the wretchedness of my heart long enough to go, yuck! And turn from that to Him and trust. This is where faith comes in. And trust His goodness, mercy, and love is greater than that wickedness I just saw. When I was in Tennessee and had that experience in worship, I was on the ground crying and crying and God's love kept waving over me. I went through so many Kleenexes, it was ridiculous. And I'm supposed to preach. And I'm thinking in my mind, I'm supposed to preach. Trying to get up, he's knocking me down. I'd get up and he'd, but I just, oh, I was a mess. I was a manifesting mess. I'm just laying crying so hard. I mean, if you didn't understand, you'd have thought I, you know, got snared and crossed some line and did some bad thing or something. No, I was crying because of his goodness. And he just kept waving over me. And it was stuff like this. I love you so much. I love you so much. Stuff like indicating he's proud of me. Proud that I'm his son. What do you do when God, it's one thing when somebody prophesies that over you. Jesse, for the Lord says he's proud of you. Usually brings tears to people's eyes. Wonder if God in his spirit comes and says, and in that, I'm so proud of you. You are done. I was so done, it was ridiculous. I thought I'll never recover. They, they videoed the whole thing when I got up and tried to preach. I come over. And like, for a half hour, I stood there like that and couldn't hardly talk and people were crying and everybody was getting caught up in what was going on because God's grace is amazing. So it wasn't about me preaching. It was just, I was a mess. Guess what he said? He said, Dan, do you know why you live the way you live? And I knew exactly what he meant. The consistency, the unshakableness, the steadfastness of every day waking up in the same eye. Unmovable, unshakable sounds like my God. 
and he's in me, so I ought to be that way too. I'm not afraid to preach like that because I believe it's possible. I don't have to relate to human experience. I relate to Christ in me. And guess what he said? Do you know why you live the way you do? I said, yeah, because you're amazing and your grace is sufficient. Because you're almighty God and your love never fails. That's how you'd have answered. And he chuckled and said, well, no, Dan, not really. I thought it was heresy. I thought, is this even the voice of God? For a minute, it shook me. He said, it's because the day you got saved, you were sin conscious for a moment. But ever since that moment, you've been a son in your heart. That's justice. Sin conscious for a moment. I was aware of my need for a savior. I was made sorry for a moment. And I turned to him and trusted that he would love me. And ever since that moment, in my heart, I've been a son. You follow? Yeah. 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 <laughs> was the moment the will of God? Was it condemnation or godly sorrow? It was me getting real, taking ownership, responsibility, and saying, Save me. Listen to Paul's language. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who could, is that condemnation? He's taking ownership of who he is without Christ. But then turning to Christ, believing his salvation is Jesus. Oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? Is he a hopeless, condemned man when he makes that comment? I thank God that through Jesus Christ, I am delivered. Do you see? He sees his state without a savior. That's why there's a lot of movement out there trying to get men to see their sins. I don't have that conviction. I preach God's love through the Son. And in God's love through the Son, people see their sins. And it comes out that way. The goodness of God leads men to change. When your heart has adversity and wickedness in it, when your heart has contrary stuff, and God comes and loves you in truth the way He is... And this person that was talking to me about just minister in a certain way, that's, I really understand that concept in that, 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 that makes you aware. Because you can produce works in people, well, you shouldn't live that way. Well, see, you're a sinner. Well, you need change. Well, without grace, you'll never change. If God's goodness comes, and God's heart's being revealed, and love's starting to be around me, and all of a sudden I look inside and say, man, I'm not on page. I'm this, I'm that. And all of a sudden I fall down and ask for mercy and cry in my bedroom and say, God, deliver me from this lie, from this wretchedness, from this selfishness. God, I want your heart. Who knows? God says, that's being born again. That's old things passing away. Behold. So let's not deny the old things were there. That's why we need a savior. So we're not just preaching such a rosy message that there's no need to be saved. Are you kidding me? We're saved. We're not mushing the love of God. The love of God is exposing everything and revealing our need for a Savior. Do you understand this? This is Paul's letter. Watch what his letter did. His letter made him sorry and he rejoiced. <laughs> Why? Because he knew something. He knew that they were made sorry in a godly manner. Not guilt, condemnation, shame, and regret. 
You can approach somebody and hurt. You can be hurt and point out they're wrong and be totally right in what you point out, but be totally wrong because of the way you pointed it out. Being right doesn't make it right. If you're motivated by fixing on what's wrong, it'll put you in the position of right, and you're to minister righteousness. So it's never he said, she said. You follow me? It would be like if I'd see something and I'd, I'm addressing Catherine and I'd go over and I'd say, honey, don't you understand that when you do that or think that, you're creating this in your own mind. And, when you, and all of a sudden I can cry for her because I realize the way she's thinking is a detriment to her. It's not wrong to point it out. It's not wrong to talk to her about it for her sake and expose that lie. And she's like, yeah, but then. no, listen, honey, when you yell, but do you realize, ah, see, this is who you are. This is what you're created for. This is what we became because we never knew this truth. But this is you, honey. Yeah. All of a sudden she realizes and there's a change in the way she sees and thinks and and the lie takes its proper perspective and the truth overcomes. Get it? Rather than, listen, why do you do this? You know, I noticed when I get around you, you say this and think this and you know, you don't realize that and you're supposed to be an example. We do that a lot. If I'm going to talk to her about anything that tender and delicate, I better love her. Because that's what empowers me to talk about it and her to receive. We commend ourselves to men's consciousness. We don't just, 1 Thessalonians, look at it. Chapter 1. You guys all right? Verse 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. Isn't it good to know the word and just go to good nitty-gritty stuff like this? Just fill your heart with the word, guys. Watch. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. We're not just here preaching doctrine. Watch. But also in power. Watch. And in the Holy Spirit, that means discernment and awareness and and just illumination. Now watch this. And in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you, for your sake. (gasps) Do you get that? We're not just preaching to people. We're living a life in a way motivated by love that people understand everything you're doing is for their sake. Because they realize you love them and now they have ears to hear and hearts wide open. Paul was writing to the Corinthians. They were struggling with things, had themselves grayed out. And he says, oh, Corinthians, you want to see it? Second uh, uh. Corinthians 6. Verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. He's compelling him. He's saying, you know we love you. 
Because they know they've laid down their lives for these people. They've spent time in jail for these, for preaching. For, he's saying, open up your heart. Now listen how strong he talks. You're not restricted by us. We're giving you every right to win. Every right to live this life. We've made every door wide open to walk in righteousness. Now watch. He is not dishing dirt. He says, but you're restricted by your own affections. He's crying out. He's bringing a conviction to cause godly sorrow. So they realize, man, what are we doing? Why are we shooting ourselves in the foot and biting the hands that feed us? And what are we doing? God, have mercy. It's time for change. It's all through your Bible. So you have to understand that that's a working of the Spirit. Look at the 2 Corinthians 7 thing, and i got to wrap up. It's Oh, it's late. Oh! You were made sorry in a what? In a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. No guilt, no condemnation, no shame, no burnt bridges. Nobody's mad at you. No damage to relationship. No need to avoid. No need to stay at a distance. Isn't that what we do sometimes when things don't go quite right and we feel the need to step in and correct and the relationship seems different? Next thing you know, we can't get past the little animosity and what went wrong. And A lot of that's because of the lack of love. Love releases a grace that just melts that stuff away. Watch. For godly sorrow, so they didn't receive loss from anything. That letter didn't create loss. Great gain. For godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. It's through repentance. So if my heart doesn't see what I need to turn from, I might be holding back a salvation as great as this. You follow me? Not to be regretted. So it's never to be regretted. Wow, I just can't believe I did that. Why can't believe I... Man, I mean, I'm glad you pointed out, but I just can't believe I did that. No, Father, thank you for the light that you've placed in my life. Thank you for the people that love me, the wisdom that you've surrounded me with. I feel so protected and nurtured and fathered in my life. Thank you. I feel like you hedged me in, that even if I'm on this place, I'll see it somehow, some way, because you love me. See how powerful that is? Come on, that's so powerful. I sure beat some lame. Well, man. One for you, I'd be off in the dark. I mean, I don't even know if I trust living my life now. I mean, I probably need you to just hold me accountable. And then we demean ourselves through this stuff. No, you suffer loss in nothing. Watch this. It's all gain. It's repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. What's the sorrow of the world? Well, I wish you didn't go there. Well, why'd I have to say it? Oh, you dummy. We should just held your tongue. Well, it's not always about holding your tongue. It's about getting your heart changed because the only reason your tongue has something to say is because it's in your heart. You can bite your tongue and your heart's the same. Just because you didn't speak it doesn't mean you don't mean it. Get your heart changed. Then you won't ever have to bite your tongue. Boy, that's a good word. You came to school for that one. (laughs) But the sorrow of the world produces what? Death. So guilt, condemnation, shame, regret is never, ever, ever, ever God. Ever. It's never God. Shame, condemnation. When he's talking to Peter, 
Peter, you know, Satan has a scheme set against you, and uh, yeah, but I've prayed for you. When you return, he's indicating he sees him denying. He sees him slipping. We, we covered this, but watch. He's suffering loss in nothing. When Jesus brings this out, love has him covered. Love has him protected. Love is ministering to him to keep his destiny intact, not to exploit his coming weakness. And the prayer before the throne from Jesus has secured a grace over him in the midst of denial. And there's a wide open door home. So the last thing Peter needs to do then, and that's why this changed, Linda, that's why in Acts you see him so, because the last thing Peter needs then is, yeah, but you know, you never know. I said I wouldn't, but I did, so I can't be sure of myself. I mean, who knows? I denied him once. I guess I could do it again. That's regret. That's like, man, why did I have to say I didn't know him? Why couldn't I have just been strong and bold? And you go back there and you try to rehash it. Why didn't I do different? It's over now. You can't do different. You didn't do different. Be loved. Be forgiven. Be redeemed. And let it produce something in you like this says. Watch. For observe this very thing. That your sorrow was in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you. What a clearing of yourself. What an indignation towards the lie. What a fear and reverence towards God. What a vehement desire and zeal to go after one so lovely. What a vindication. In all things you prove to be clear in the matter. So one minute they're guilty of the death of the Son of God. The next minute they're coming up out of the waters of baptism, sons of God. And then they go on and live a life in a manner worthy of Him and prove they're cleared in this manner by living the life in Christ. Do you get it? Stand to your feet. We've got to close. I'm really late. Yeah. <laughs> Things go like this, we'll have to add a week 14 or something because I'm feeling pumped. <laughs> no, 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 it's just saying. <laughs> no. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Father, without your word, we'd be blind and deceived. We'd be bumping into one another and right into life in the wrong way. We'd walk off by sheer instinct, the Bible says we'd walk off into destruction. If it wasn't for the word, if it wasn't for the sovereignty of even your spirit just holding things together for seasons and hold, if it wasn't for you, every drunk driver would just die. Satan, every time we sinned, would just wipe us out. It's just amazing that you're so amazing. Teach us through your goodness. Teach us through your love. And continue to mold us and shape us as the sons and daughters we are. Build us in the truth of righteousness. Build us in confidence and consciousness of you. Let the world see your glory through our lives. But more than all these things, God, because all these things will come to pass if this one thing happens, continue to make us like you in the way of love. Cause us to see through love because in love is just flawless wisdom, unsearchable truth. In love is where we find out who we are and who we were always created to be. Make our hearts, lift your hands to him, please. Thank you for grace that changes me. Not because I'm trying hard, 
but because I believe one so good. Why wouldn't I want you? And not just want you, why wouldn't I want to become like you if it was possible? Holy Spirit, I receive and I say yes to your calling. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yay for you, Jesus. Bless you guys. I, uh, tomorrow, when are we getting together? Tomorrow night, is there something going on? I, uh, I was wondering.